Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Well, this was a big surprise because since Diamond's been in bankruptcy, the expectation is that it would unwind, it would wind down business operations, and 2024 would be its last season, the last season operating. Instead, Amazon they've done a deal with Amazon. Amazon's investing roughly 115 million dollars into Diamond. It will own about 15 percent of the company, and it will serve as the direct-to-consumer platform for the regional sports channel. So viewers in St. Louis who want to stream the St. Louis Cardinals games can go to Amazon Prime Video and buy a subscription. And as a result, Diamond is not going away. Valley Sports Group is not winding down operations at the end of 2024. That was Daniel Kaplan, who was on the opening drive earlier today, business reporter who formerly was with ESPN. Uh, but Daniel Kaplan talking about the Amazon deal, which yesterday, T-Bone, we were asked about it because Evan Drellich had a piece out, or we saw a couple of different pieces that were put out there, and people were wondering, what does this mean? We didn't even know what it meant because it was so confusing. And then Evan Drellich j- dropped the article yesterday on The Athletic, explaining it, it was like business for dummies when it came to sports broadcasting, which, no coincidence, I'm still confused by it. But Evan Dralich is going to join us at 11.15 to talk about the Amazon deal that took place yesterday with the Diamond Sports Group in the court. So what this means, just general picture. You heard Daniel Kaplan uh, explain it there a little bit with the opening drive. Amazon swooped in with the Diamond Sports Group that owns the Valley Sports, that owns the rights for all of these broadcast entities, and they invested money towards their deal. So basically what this is doing is avoiding bankruptcy for the Diamond Sports Group. So it keeps them alive. And from my understanding, this allows teams that had those those rights, those broadcasting rights with the Diamond Sports Groups, there's, what, 37 teams in Major League Baseball, NBA, and the NHL that have that in place, they get to keep their rights deal because of Amazon coming in and investing that money. Now, there's more nuts and bolts to it. Evan Drellich will explain that a little bit later. But big picture for dummies like me, who still might be a little confused by it, essentially... This broadcasting deal that the Cardinals have with Bally Sports, that the Blues have with Bally Sports, it can now continue until the end of their rights agreement, unless they decide 
that they want to go elsewhere. But not sure why you would want to because the money is there now because of Amazon to keep these teams alive. Yeah, this is such a fascinating deal. And I think the funniest part about it, as it was reported yesterday, you know, the reports came out. And my assumption was when the report came out, it was like, hey, everybody knew about this. And then you get the quote from the MLB alert. Yeah, we had no idea this was coming. And it's like, oh, well, that's a great way to start a new relationship. It sounds like the Cardinals front Uh, office. We don't have money. We do have money. It's such a fascinating thing that you see Amazon invest in this to try and keep keep Diamond Sports kind of alive and like a merger to keep this going. Because I would think, and this is what I'm curious to hear from Evan Drellich about, I, I would think that Major League Baseball teams would be ecstatic about this. Right. Because if you're the St. Louis Cardinals, I was looking this up today, I was curious, like, okay, like, how much longer do they have in their deal? Because there are some teams like the Twins, the Guardians, who, A, have to still negotiate a new contract with these terms, and you've got some teams that maybe their deal expires, like, in three years. The Cardinals runs through 2032, and they're in a 15, currently in the middle of a 15-year deal worth about $1.1 billion that they signed with, at the time, it was Fox Sports Midwest. So I would think if you're the Cardinals, though, yes, it is kind of a maybe they wanted to have their streaming rights themselves, sell it themselves, get a direct to consumer product themselves and try and take this on by themselves and not have to worry about it with another company. I would almost think that this would be almost kind of a, you know what? We now have assurance through 2032. Right. We really don't know what the direct to consumer uh product how that will work because you listen to the Cardinals ownership group the DeWitt's talk at Cardinals winter warm-up they basically laid out like two three plans didn't really sound like there was a clear cut like this is how we're going to do it if Valley wind at the time Diamond Sports was going to fold I would think as Major League Baseball team that they would at least like some of the certainty that this could potentially bring give you an idea of how Amazon is going to operate with things now what gets interesting with the St. Louis Cardinals is Diamond does not own the streaming rights for the St. Louis Cardinals because this is how the way that my understanding is this is going to work is I'm going to use the St. Louis Blues, for example, because Valley Sports owns the rights to their stream. Right. Blues fans, if you have Valley Sports currently in a cable bundle, would still have access to the St. Louis Blues past next season. So if if you have Charter or something like that, you can still get Blues games on your television. And if you're out of market or... Whoever your provider is is blacking out the St. Louis Blues. What you then would also have is you could then go direct to consumer to Amazon Prime Video to get that to where you would have basically two options of how you're going to get it. If you can get it in a bundle, cable bundle, then you have it. If you can't, you can go direct to consumer to Amazon to get a subscription for it. And but that's you why you don't need the Bally Sports app because oh, Amazon. I, the, no, no, because it's gonna, Amazon is going to be basically Bally Sports. So Amazon app. is Bally Sports app, at least now it seems like. And they will be a new company. They will not be Bally Sports. They will take on a new name. But we don't know what that is yet as the details start to kind of work out. And we'll see if this gets um, approved by all these parties, including the judge that is overseeing this bankruptcy case. But it's so fascinating to see them swoop in and try and do this because I thought for sure the NHL and NBA had already reached deals to where they were basically done with Diamond at the end of the year. And they were going to get all their rights back with this new deal. Sounds like that they can renegotiate with Diamond, work things out, get their terms back, as we were just talking about with baseball. Baseball, they have a contentious relationship with Diamond. They basically hate them. Yeah. They basically hate Diamond Sports Midwest. Because baseball knows that they're an entity that could probably go on their own and find a way to do it. But for right now, because of the uncertainty, essentially, and again, just the common for dummies 
understanding what this does is this avoids teams not being paid their money like everybody knew they were getting their money to this season that was what the agreed upon situation was at least we saw that from the cardinal side of things i know there's teams that still have to negotiate that side of it but beyond this year teams know that worst case scenario safety net Money is available to us for our broadcasting rights. We don't have to go out, and Evan Drellich pointed this out, before this took place yesterday, there were 15 teams in Major League Baseball that were going to have to shop around their national streaming rights beyond this upcoming season. So now that's gone, unless the teams want to pursue that. That's the part that I was at least a little confused by, because last year, or not last year, last month, I thought we had the news that Amazon had already approached this and it got declined. So now we've gone back to it where Amazon came in and maybe had a different plan in place with them that they were able to accomplish this. Again, we'll get a better understanding of this with Evan Drellich coming up in about five minutes or so. But let's go to the Cardinal side of this. How does this impact the Cardinals and Blues? Blues aside, I think they're a different working situation right now because they Bally Sports has their streaming rights. If anything, you know that that's going to be there for you beyond the rest of this season. The Cardinals are the bigger one because we've heard John Mozeliak talk about how is it had it has an impact on their finances. Bill DeWitt the third said it does impact their finances. Man, if this deal is in front of you and it's exactly the way that we're understanding it, I'm not sure they can pull that card anymore. This is huge for Cardinals fans because you know it's going to be available to you. But it's also huge in sense for Cardinals fans knowing that, hey, the front office can't pull the card of, well, you know, we don't have a whole lot of money because of the the uncertainty with the with the Bally Sports, the RSN. Now that's not, for lack of a better word, an excuse anymore because of this deal from Amazon. Yeah, if the deal does get approved, it provides, and again, they have to, they're a complicated issue because they own their streaming rights still, so they would technically have to still sell those to Amazon to allow Amazon to use those uh, streaming rights. But if they do get this done and this does end up working out and Major League Baseball decides to go with this Amazon plan, then it provides certainty for the St. Louis Cardinals through that current television deal that they're under now, which I said expires at the end of the 2032 season. So So they would at least know what they're going to be taking in each year. And that's why they were concerned. And that's what Bill DeWitt III spoke of with John Denton of MLB.com of, hey, we really don't know what everything looks like past this year because A, they weren't quite sure how they were going to get their product to fans. And B, they really didn't know what the dollar figure was going to be on what they were going to make from that direct-to-consumer product if that was the route that they chose to go. This way, if this deal goes through, the Cardinals know exactly what they'll be making in 2025, 2026, 2027, and so on and so forth because they know they're operating under the same terms that they negotiated back when they signed this deal. I think it was in 2015 that started back in 2018. That's why I, I truly think that looking at this, this is the best case scenario for Major League Baseball owners because there's not that kind of unknown of what happens if we go to direct to consumer and we kind of get to see how Amazon does it and watch kind of from afar and go, okay, here's what they did right, here's what they did wrong. After 2032, maybe we take our rights back from them and you get certainty for the next basically eight years to see how much money is going to be pulled in from your TV rights deal. I, And if you're a Cardinals fan, I think it kind of Bill DeWitt mentioned the eyeball problem yeah. where fans right now, if your cable provider doesn't have it, you're blacked out from streaming it. In theory, I think this kind of eliminates that as well to where I think it's a win-win for the fans, and I think it's a win-win-win for Major League Baseball owners. But 
that that's my outside reading of it. Right. And I'll be curious to know what Evan Drellich, who's been covering this stuff since this whole Diamond Sports bankruptcy issue occurred, what he thinks of that. Yeah, Evan Drellich, he's one of the best. You remember him during the lockout with baseball. He was the one kind of around all of those negotiations. He was the one that dropped the article yesterday talking about this case between Amazon and Diamond Sports Group. Evan Drellich of The Athletic is going to join us next. He's Tanner Hendrickson. We've got Bradford Brunson studio for BK. I'm Alex Ferrario. Evan Drellich is next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Bradford Bruns, I'm Alex Ferrario. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. A lot of people have seen Evan Drellix's piece with The Athletic talking about the court case yesterday between Amazon and Diamond. A lot of questions surrounding this whole Bally Sports broadcast situation, especially for the Cardinals here in St. Louis. So we figured we'd get the best to explain it to us. He is Evan Drellick, who covers the uh, Major League Baseball for The Athletic senior writer over at The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at Evan Drellick, two L's I-C-H. Evan, thank you so much for hopping on with us today because, man, I've needed somebody to try and explain this whole thing to me like I'm five because every time, I read your article about six times last night and I feel like I'm still confused by what's going on between these two sides. Yeah, it's uh, it's complicated and not that fun to follow, let me tell you. Somebody who's uh, <laughs> Uh, listen to enough of these bankruptcy hearings at this point. But so you had this company, uh, Diamond, uh, which which owns these Valley RSNs, so the Cardinals and a bunch of other teams. They went into bankruptcy. They've been trying to get out of bankruptcy. The plan that that was kind of growing and that people thought was going to uh, be the direction it goes is that Diamond would just break up at the end of 24. And MLB was in these pretty heated talks, intense talks with Diamond about, all right, What's 24 going to look like? And then after 24, we're getting our rights back. So the Cardinals and all the other teams would have, if this had gone that direction, um, would have gotten their rights back. And then who knows what it would have looked like. Maybe MLB puts a package together itself. Anyway, Amazon comes in and says, we're going to invest here. And if the court allows this, it's not a done deal. I think that's important for people to understand. But if the court allows it, if this ends up being what happens, then all the teams that are with, um, A, with diamond with valley right now but b have also granted digital streaming rights then those teams could be seen on prime um now that's only five of the 11 teams currently other teams could do that uh but that's that's not all of the teams that valley broadcasts on tv so there's a difference between the tv rights and the digital rights isn't that fun? Yeah, very fun. And, and between the, uh, the the lockout conversations that you were a part of a couple of years ago and this, man, you're all around these conversations, aren't you? I, I'm, I'm just the angel of fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, Evan, a, a lot of our fans hear you talk about that, that streamer conversation and then what the rights are that the Diamond has. The St. Louis Cardinals are in a unique spot because their rights are not with – their streaming rights they own. Not Diamond does not own those. What would that process look like? Would the, the Cardinals, if they want to go follow this plan of Amazon merging with Diamond, would they have to then sell their streaming rights to Amazon Prime? They wouldn't have to. They might want to. You know, that's that's the question. There's been a big disagreement between MLB and Diamond over the value of these digital rights, and it's become something of a spitting match. Uh, Rob Manfred and 
the the bosses at Diamond, and then there's a parent company of Diamond called Sinclair. There's been a lot of animosity there, so it hasn't been the most cooperative relationship. The bottom line is um, MLB has seen the worth of its uh, digital rights differently, and so that's why you have only five of the 11 um, that have granted those rights. So it's it's like any other transaction. If, if the, the Cardinals and Diamond uh, see eye to eye on a price, it'll happen. And maybe it, because it's Amazon and, and they have such a broad reach, maybe at that point, the team say, okay, we, we want to do this. We have a greater reason to do it as opposed to the current state of affairs where Diamond was just kind of shopping that, that digital streaming product on its own. And, and Evan, w- when you talk about this deal, at least from my perspective, and look, I get excited about $100, not $100 million or $1 billion. dollars uh, When I hear you talking about this, I, I feel like this seems like a great deal for Major League Baseball owners because if I understand it correctly – the deal that the Cardinals have, which they're in the midst of a 15-year deal worth a billion dollars that runs through 2032, if, if this ends up going through, that that deal would then just carry on through 2032, that sounds like a great that sounds like a great thing for the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, you know, for as much as the model is changing and, and RSNs, regional sports networks, are struggling and, and linear TV, the old cable model, is, is in some ways struggling – the teams and the owners value that old model because it's upfront money as opposed to going to a situation where you're relying on, well, how many subscribers are we going to have in a given year? Um, and obviously the number of subscribers to, to uh, cable can, can fluctuate too, but it's a little easier to, to call up and cancel a digital subscription than it is to go, go and return the cable box. You know, it, it's, um, and, and you are getting paid upfront. You're saying, I'm going to pay you, uh, or, or, or even if it's not up front, it's a commitment. It's a committed dollar value as opposed to we're just not sure what we're getting inside of a given year. So, yeah, if, if the Cardinals can keep uh, the contract that's in place, I don't think they're going to be complaining. I, I, I think teams like to have the promise of that kind of money coming in annually. So, and again, we're talking with Evan Drellick, who, who covers senior writer uh, over at The Athletic. He covers Major League Baseball. I, I guess the part that I'm, I'm still confused by, Evan, is, is as much as the Cardinals could say, like, yeah, this is a great deal for us, or any of these other teams that, you know, say, like, yeah, no, the money's coming towards us. This right now, Major League Baseball has the say in it, and the court is the one that is going to decide what the outcome is because big picture for me, Major League Baseball is probably thinking, no, we'd rather shop this around because we might be able to get a bigger bang for our buck than what we have right now. Yeah, there's a lot of um, voices in the room here. There are creditors who are involved, and a lot are on board with this plan, not all of them are on board with this plan. We saw MLB basically say, we're, we're you know, we're, we're not really saying anything at this point. Yesterday, that was the, the, the MLB position. The NBA had a similar position. Um, you know, what, what the judge ends up deciding, what, what he ends up listening to or valuing, you know, if, if MLB and, and the NBA both came out and said, we didn't like this, what would the judge do? They're, they're not J.P. Morgan as, as far as a creditor in, in this case, but they're, they're still an important part of this. So that's why I say it's, it's, it's certainly not a, a done deal. And, yeah, MLB, as I understand it and read it, certainly like the other possibility of after 24, all the Bally, all the Diamond teams get their rights back. And then at that point, 
literally half the league would would be without a TV contract. You have you you have the eleven teams there, plus the Twins who their contract with Bally expired last year. They're talking about coming back, plus the Diamondbacks, plus the Padres who are with uh, Bally and then got dropped in the middle of last year, and plus the Rockies who are with a whole other group, the Warner Discovery, and those they just gave those networks away, and the Rockies are on their own. So you would have had the ability to shop a package of half the league for 2025 potentially, which would have been a very interesting thing. Evan, hearing all all this talk, and we're talking about how the teams are viewing this, do, when you see this Amazon deal and how they kind of outlined it in their PDF that they released yesterday, do you think, at least the way that they're selling it, do you think it's a good thing for the fans that are looking at this saying, okay, well, how does this impact me? Yeah, the, Baseball has a problem, which is that you cannot access this product without going through some ridiculous hoops. I live in New York, in New York City. I subscribe to YouTube TV. I do not get Mets games. I do not get Yankees games. I do not get MLB Network. It's a joke. It's ridiculous. I'm not blaming either side here. I'm saying the, the, the bottom line outcome is absurd. It shouldn't be that hard for me in this city to watch one of the two or both, heaven forbid, of the baseball teams here. Um, so, yes. Getting more access points to baseball games, whether that's through a major national streaming service like Amazon Prime, whether it's through Apple, Peacock, you know, one of the others, uh, whether it's through the a la carte ability to buy a game and say, you know what, I want to watch a baseball game tonight and I'm going to spend 10 bucks on that game, um, which, which, by the way, isn't something that, that seems to be in the near future, but someday you could imagine it. Um, that's the whole mission for baseball. And yeah, they waited too long. They, they, they benefited for a long, long time from the old cable model. Why? Because if you signed up for cable, you were paying for the baseball team's games, whether you were a fan or not. It was a wonderful model for the owners. They made a ton of money off of it, but that model started to fall apart. And now they're going, gee, we might have a problem. And they do have a problem, and now they're trying to you know, get out from under it. So, Evan, final one for me, and we really appreciate your time. Let's go down the hypothetical path that this would get approved and it does benefit these teams. We in St. Louis have heard uh, Bill DeWitt III talk about how, you know, the finances going into this upcoming season and the future are a little bleak for us and it makes things difficult. If this were to get approved, would, would that take that off the table for a lot of teams around Major League Baseball? Yeah, look, historically, owners have always complained about spending and, and have not wanted to spend. People don't like to spend money. Uh, it's very hard to evaluate what owners are making. They do not publicize their financials, right? So you're in a position where you stand there and go, well, I guess I have to believe them. You know, they never open the books except for, the, uh, for Atlanta Braves, who are a publicly traded company. So you know, it, it, the starting point there should be one of skepticism. You just don't know. You're taking their word for it. Um, but, yes, if, if the contract remains in force and the Cardinals are getting their money, uh, that's one area where they can't then turn and say, yeah, no, we're, we don't want to spend for this reason. But, look, historically, people have always come up with reasons why they can't spend some money. Evan, and we've been talking about the Cardinals. And the final question for me is a lot of people that are listening to us right now, they're not just worried about what it means for the Cardinals' future. They're worried about what it means for the St. Louis Blues. And you had mentioned earlier how the NBA, NHL, they had deals to get out of this after this upcoming season. What does the future now look like for the NHL and NBA teams? Yeah, so they, they, they unlike baseball, had reached this agreement where 
kind of all under this assumption that at the end of 24, Diamond would go away, that it would be liquidated, the assets would be broken up, and the company would kind of disappear. Um, that agreement was all predicated on that scenario, that, that, that it would go away. So now that it, you have this potential uh, route where it doesn't go away, where it, where it basically continues on, even as it's technically a new company, um, it basically does the same thing it would do in baseball. It, it, it keeps the contracts in force. And so whatever was in place before, um, for the most part, there, there might be some honoring of financial terms that were agreed to. Um, but basically, the, the contracts that were there would still exist. That, that's, that's kind of across the board here. Unless Diamond decides to drop somebody ahead of time, which might happen in baseball with the Rangers and the Guardians. Well, Evan, I know the coverage hasn't been the funnest for you, but, man, we appreciate the breakdown, and I think you do a phenomenal job breaking it down on your piece over at The Athletic. And if people want more information, you can check out his piece at The Athletic or on Twitter at Evan Drellick uh, on Twitter. Evan, thank you so much for taking some time and explaining this a little bit better. I feel like I understand this better now, uh, so we always appreciate you taking some time out and hopping on with us. You got it. Thanks, guys. There you go. That's Evan Drellick of The Athletic uh, with us here on BK and Ferrario. And so, again, just plain understanding of it. Un- the the one thing that he said at the beginning that needs to be understood is this is not a done deal yet. The, the court has to agree upon this. And they just, his tweet last night said that they uh, basically closed the case and they said the hearing is over for now and they're pushing it off a little bit. So who knows when they're going to get back into this. But for right now, the understanding is if it gets approved, the, the deal is still on the table for these teams to explore opportunities for the streaming but these teams know that they're getting money and the streaming rights are there with Amazon if it gets approved. Yeah, if the deal gets approved, the Cardinals' deal with Bally Sports Midwest will continue throughout. That That's the way it Correct. will work. Until 2032. They, they have to negotiate their streaming rights, which means they still have to figure out if the games will be on Amazon Prime. But if they agree to this and Major League Baseball agrees to this, odds are that I would think that the Cardinals would go ahead and follow that and push their games to Amazon. And I, I saw some texts that were saying like, well, wait, if I if I don't get if I don't have a cable company, can I get the games on Amazon without a blackout restriction? Yes, the streaming rights then would have that to where they can. So th- th- I think this deal works out great because it does provide more avenues, as he said. And that's why I asked. I said, what what how does this benefit the fans? There's too many loopholes right now to go yeah. through to get Cardinals games. This should help out if that is the case. So if you missed any of that interview with Evan Drellick, I recommend checking it out after the show on the podcast page at 101ESPN.com. He's Tanner Hendrickson, Bradford Bruns. I'm Alex Ferrario. We typically don't do this, but Joe Vitale, 1130, is going to join us from D.C. coming up next year on 101 ESPN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Joey Vitale views things a little differently. Just imagine how he looks at hockey. This is The View from Vitale, brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi Electric Elite contractor. ESPN guest line. Joe Vitale is waiting alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Bradford Bruns. I'm Alex Ferrario as we've got Blues and Capitals in action tonight. Joey V, how's DC, my man? Joey, Joey, Joey. Joey. Ah, so the nation's capital. Nation's capital, that's right. Nation's capital. <laughs> things, are, things are rocking and rolling up here, guys. Wonderful day in Washington, D.C. Left the morning skate about 20 minutes ago and and things are looking looking pretty positive ahead of this matchup here tonight. But it's been an overall wonderful day. We stay in Georgetown, which is a cooler area of Washington D.C. If you've never been, but some wonderful uh, wonderful shops and uh, places to walk around. And I know this Blues team is certainly amped up to get back on the winning side of things here tonight. I've never been to D.C., Joe, but I want to go because I'm a huge history nerd. But I've also told my wife I feel like I can't go unless I set a week or two aside to go because there's so much to do. Yeah, there's so much, and and don't don't be so hard on yourself. You're, you're not a nerd. We're not a nerd alert like Star Wars. Yeah, with curves. am yeah, I right? True nerd, <laughs> nerd alert. No, just because you're a history buff doesn't make you a nerd. Alex. There is you. You walk down a street and there's a statue of uh you know an Andrew uh you know Alexander you know the Great or there's you know George Washington there's Abraham Lincoln stuff and there's just there's just people across the way. I mean, we just walked past a building looks like a great old building. It's a Ford Theater where you know obviously so much history is there. Yeah. So just you're walking down the streets and you don't even realize all the stuff that you're seeing. And it just really does come together nicely, but a really, really clean city. This city has taken a huge turn. I'd say over the last couple of decades, but it's clean, it's walkable, lots of restaurants and ton of history, as you mentioned. So one of those undercover cities for a lot of the players and, and staff alike. Well, I, uh, I, I feel like a lot of people are excited for this one tonight, Joe, because of the Capitals, but also because they get to see Adam Gaudet. And it seems odd to say, but because Gaudet has to- torn up the minor leagues with his goal scoring, and because the Blues are searching for goal scoring, there's some excitement and buzz around him getting this opportunity. What have you made of just the little you've seen of Gaudet with the Blues today? You know, he looks he looks pretty comfortable. I talked to him here for a little bit this morning. You know, he of course is a uh, northeastern husky like myself. So we have shout some, out, uh, shout out for the husky dog. The Huntington Hounds are back in the house. <laughs> but um, you know, it was it was great to kind of reminisce on the northeastern days. And you know, we obviously have a lot of people we know in common. And uh, a player who's had tremendous amount of success at the college level. You know, of course, Hobie Baker winner. It was funny. I was talking to Nathan Walker this morning. I looked to my left, and there's Goddad. I looked to my right, and there's Scott Prudovich. And I said, Nathan, you must feel like you must feel pretty good. He says, Why is that? And he said, like, you're, you're sitting between two Hobie Baker winners. And he's like, What's a Hobie Baker winner? And of course, everyone started laughing. And, and of course, Nathan Walker knows what the award is, but was just giving some trouble to uh, the two Hobie winners to his right and to his left. And uh, it, it is true. I mean, I think that you look at Goddad, his success he has had in college, has it transcended and trans, you know, transferred to the pro game consistently yet? No. You know, he's bounced between a few different teams. You know, he hasn't played an NHL game in about two years. So this is going to be his first call-up in a long time. But a player that certainly has earned it, he is ripping up the score in the American Hockey League. And it is time. It is time to officially give him a shot. I know there's some other Blues prospects. They wanted to kind of get some looks in before Gaudet. But you really can't keep him down there any longer when he's scoring at the rate he is down there. Of course, he's coached by Drew Bannister for the last couple seasons. And Gaudet, one thing about his game, which will help the Blues here tonight. He is a shooter, without a doubt. He does not look to pass. 
he looks to shoot. He finds himself in really good areas of the ice. Um, so it'll be really great to see him here on, on the line tonight with another former, you know, a really good playmaker in Oscar Sundquist. So it could be a really fun line, an intriguing line to look at. Joey, Blue's going to do some lineup tweaks tonight against the Washington Capitals. And I want to focus on defense. They're going to go back to this Krug and Kessel pairing and move Falk down to the third pair with Scott Pronovich. What what have you seen in the in the very few games that we did see from Matt Kessel and Torrey Krug that makes that pairing work so well together? You know, I think that Matthew Kessel, I think he just plays a very just patient, simple game. You know, I mean, Justin Falk's been in the league a long time. He's been a captain. He's been an all-star. You know, he, he likes to try things. You know, he likes to jump up in the rush. You know, and I think that he's done this game so long and played this game at so long at such a high level. You know, you're always looking to to push the boundaries. You're always looking to to join on the attack. You're always looking to maybe make that, that play through his team because if it gets through, it's going to be a great scoring chance. You know, that's the kind of the mindset, I think, of a Justin Falk. On the flip side of Matthew Kessel, you know, it's almost the opposite. He's not looking to really make any risky plays. He's not looking to make any risky jumps up in the rush and put his line mates and his deep partner in, in a bad spot. He's just been playing a very steady, make a good first pass, you know, keep things to the outside. You know, Alex brought up that stat, you know, last game, you know, he hasn't been on the ice for a five-on-five goal again. I mean, it's pretty remarkable that to think that he's been up as long as he's been up. He's played the teams and he's gone up against some of the top players in the league like he has. And he's not never really put himself or Tory in a bad spot uh, where it's hurt this team. So I think it's a good call by Drew Bannister. You know, do you, was it easy for him to have that conversation with Justin Falk to bring him back down to that third pair? Probably not. But I think this is what he's done very well. He's come in. He's established this in, integral part of the game. This what would you call it, the accountability side of things. And I think you cannot deny that how good Kessel and, and Krug have been together. They've helped this team win some big games and looks like they're going to go back to it here tonight. The other juggling too, Joe, that uh, Drew Bannister is doing is the top two line, but I want to hone in on Hayes and Shen playing with Jordan Cairo. Um, it, it might be a dual purpose situation, but does this feel like more of getting the best out of Jordan Cairo and kind of bringing in more scoring depth? Or is this about trying to get Shen and Hayes going? I think it's a combination of both. You know, I think that you know you look why why was Jordan Cairo taken off the Butch Navish and Thomas Line last game, Alex? I think it was mostly because you know he was in good spots and he was getting good opportunities from Thomas. He just he's having a little bit of a rough time finding the back of the net on you know, on some of these occasions. Now it's, it's hard to say that because you know what, what, Joe, what are you talking about? A few games ago he scores a hat trick. Yeah, you know that was a great game from certainly, but you look at from the greatest scoring chances he's had. We know he just, you know, passed up Vladimir Tarasenko for the most consecutive games in a row with a shot on goal. He's getting opportunities, but he's not necessarily uh, probably as consistently finding the back of the net like he should with the amount of great A's he's had. I mean, in that game, you know, two, two days ago, of course, it was a perfect example. You know, Carter Hart, the goaltender for the Flyers, you know, he makes some terrific saves on the back door, but, but those are backdoor plays that for Cairo that he received twice from Thomas that maybe he got to bury one of those or maybe he buried both of those. So I think that, you know, the opportunities have been there for Cairo. He's getting shots on goal, but they're not manifesting itself into a lot of goals just yet. So I think that if you're not going to uh, have that for a top line with as much talent, offensive uh, prowess on that line, you got to look to kind of split it up. So I think you bring Cairo down. You know, you look at the stretch for Braden Shen when he's had his most success, which was in that second part of the season. Remember, he started out kind of slow, and then he won a really nice 10-game run, and then he fell off for a little while. Of course, then he went for a long time without getting a point. But when he was good, it was with him. He was when Jordan Cairo was with him on his line. So I think they're trying to uh, for twofold. You know, you're not having to kind of uh, find the back of the net with this group up top. 
But the biggest thing is you have to figure out a way to balance the scoring and try to get your captain and Hayes going a little bit. So you drink, you bring Kyrie's speed down there, and hopefully that'll fire things up where you don't just have all things clicking on that top line, but certainly the top six. Final one for Joe Vitale, who is uh, joining us from D.C. He'll be with us tonight on our first community credit union pregame starting at 5 o'clock. Joe, you you, you went 5-4-1 and one in this 10-game stretch against real tough opponents, and you didn't really make up much ground. You kind of stayed where you were while other teams went up ahead of you in the standings. What's the impact of the future of this season for the Blues over this next 10-20 game stretch in terms of being a sellers or standing Pat and pushing for a playoff spot. Yeah, I mean this this next fifteen and twenty games really it's, it's your season now. And I think the players know that. I mean, you know the the, the, the season's kind of broken up in you know they, they call it like four twenty-ish game segments. You know, the first twenty games you're really trying to figure out what you are. You know, I've always I've always said the next twenty games leading up to that January first that that that's kind of your setup chapter. You have to make sure you're in a great spot to either. Um, put yourself in a room where you get some cushion or you, need, you put yourself in a, a position in January 1 where you need to make a push. And I think the Blues have, have done that in that second chapter. I think that, you know, up and down, slow start, but you're kind of feeling out where you are. I think that that second 20-game segment around Thanksgiving leading into Christmas and the New Year, you know, again, 500 hockey. Uh, but have you really put yourself in a terrific spot to make a hard push? Not ideally. I mean, you're only three games above 500 at this point. So you have a lot of work to do to get to that 10, 11, 12 games over 500, which it will, will, will take. So I think that for the Blues to really call themselves a contender to get into a playoff spot, right now they have to go on a Seattle Kraken type of run. They need to go on up 9-0. and They need to go on a 10-3, and uh, maybe 14-2 and and over the next 16. I mean, it's that kind of run that is ultimately going to set up Doug Armstrong to say, this is our group. And if they don't go on that run, let's say they continue to sputter at 500, or maybe they're a couple games over 500, maybe by you know March 1 they're five games over 500, is that going to be good enough? Probably not. It's not going to be good enough for this, this general manager to say, okay, this is our group, we're going to make a push for it. I think, I think changes will have to be made. So in order for them to approach March, and you've got about a month and a half to do it, about five to six weeks of really good hockey, if you want to keep this group together, and this is the group that's going to get you in the playoffs and make them make a little run, it's going to take, It's like I said, it's going to take what the Seattle Kraken have done. It's going to take a massive run. It's going to take what the Edmonton Oilers have done. If you're going to have to get on a roll, and you have to keep that roll going, or else, unfortunately, I think that you know the Doug Armstrongs and the, all the general managers that would be in the spot but hands are kind of tied and decisions are going to have to be made much like they were last year. Yep, it's kind of what we thought as well. But uh, great breakdown there, Joey V. Always appreciate it, my man. I'll talk to you tonight at uh, 5 o'clock for our first Community Credit Union pregame show. Sounds great, boys. You guys have a great rest of your day. There you go. Joe Vitale, always appreciate him hopping on with us here on a Thursday. And I think we're going to get into this a little bit later, T-Bone, but I think you nailed it. I think the only way that you look at this team anything other than where they're going to have to be sellers at the deadline, 8 to 10 games in a row. And, I mean, again, I gave you those numbers yesterday. You're not taking on teams that are out of the playoffs. You're taking on teams that are two or three points out of the playoffs or teams that are in the playoffs. So to go on that 9-10 game stretch, man, that is a tough task to ask. And that's the only way I think Doug's going to sit there and say, you know what, let's let's invest in this team. Yeah, I, and I, I think even a 9-10 game win streak just may lead to them, like, holding Pat. Like, I, I yeah. think they – Oh, don't yeah, know if they that'll, add they're not much. buying. They may add, like, maybe – a 
maybe if it's like a middle six four that a has Kapanen. some control, like someone that has a control for another year or two, maybe they would add that person. But they won't be looking for a rental because they want to hold on to their assets Absolutely. that they are getting. But yeah, they got to win ten, nine, ten in a row, or at least go like win nine of the next twelve. And it's got to start now because remember last year. Right around the time of the, I think it was the O'Reilly trade or Tarasenko. I can't remember which one happened first, but the Blues had won like three in a row, and it was like, hey, whoa, they're playing really well. Maybe they decided to hold on, and already went, boop, yeah, and, uh, and unplugged the cord and said, nope, we're this this season's over. And he traded those guys away because he knew he could get really good assets in return. I don't right. know if it's the same this year because they just don't have the same pending UFAs as they did on last year's roster. But if they're gonna if they're gonna change Army's mind, and I think right now he's probably in the mindset of sell. How much of a sell he's gonna do, I'm not quite sure. Then they got to start, and it's got to start tonight against the Washington Capitals. Absolutely, and it's a team that's sitting a few points out of a playoff spot. That is gonna be a excuse me a difficult opponent because they've got that desperation as well. Tanner Hendrickson, Bradford Bruns, Alex Ferrario, three one four three nine 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 six four six. Our Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers is next on one hundred and one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646, our Air Comfort Service text line, our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL. Studio cams brought to you by the Air Alliance team. Tanner Hendrickson, Bradford Bruns, I'm Alex Ferrario. As we get to questions and answers here on BK and Ferrario. Fellas, let's start with this from the 636. Guys, what the hell is happening to the Missouri basketball team? Have they won a game in the SEC? Well, they haven't. I can answer the second part easier. <laughs> they haven't, and I uh, don't know if they do ever win a game in the SEC. Yeah, they are they are brutal to watch. Uh, Honestly, I've watched one game, and, and it you, was the Bragging Rights game, and I'm like, cool, I've well, seen enough. You you basically saw the Mizzou season in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, they're... They are just lacking a go-to score, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I think they've got some like nice depth pieces. The problem is, is when you have all depth pieces. They can't shoot. They don't have their big man's a false big man, and they turn the ball over way too much. Tanner, that's a huge component of it because when you think about this season and your go-to score right now, he's had a fine year. Sean East can do a lot of nice things for you, creating his own shot. One of the few guys in the program who can do that at present. But last year, what was he? He was a nice complimentary option primarily off of the bench you knew this season dennis gates knew that there would be many many growing pains but i don't quite think that the fan base expected this team to be non-competitive to begin sec play yes last week you ran into kentucky you had alabama very nice season a year ago just a couple of days ago but right now we're actually seeing more headlines generated as a result of a collision of conflict between a coaching staff member for an opposing team and a player than you're getting for accolades on the floor. And I'm looking at the schedule. I don't see a W anytime soon because this team simply cannot finish offense, cannot execute in the second halves of games. Where are you going to go with the ball when you need that bucket? Yeah, I, I think when you look at them, this was just a – and look, I think – this year really puts into question was which which one of these is Dennis Gates and which one is not like the other. Was year one what to expect from Dennis Gates to where he got them to the NCAA tournament, did a really good job with that squad, or is this year more of what you're expecting? I don't know. The jury's still out. I, this could just be a big whiff from Dennis Gates this year. Coaches go through this um, where they have a big swing and a miss because he went through the transfer portal. He's done a nice job in recruiting, at least for the upcoming season. I'll yeah. be curious to know more of what they look like next year because next year is going to be the year in which you can say 
okay was last year was this this year currently that we're talking about just a giant whiff from dennis gates and he figures it out or is it uh oh this was a problem and maybe dennis gates isn't the guy long term and that is a fair point to raise because of the utter lack of execution on offense that does come down to at a certain point it comes down to the coaching when you're dealing with inferior personnel to be fair and right now he still cannot figure out a rotation that complements the talent that you do have next year even more of a transition i would argue because you're bringing back noah carter among the big guys and basically nobody else uh, from the 314, sorry, I just sniffled into the microphone. I apologize. Oh, I've been trying to avoid that. I'm going through it today, as you can tell, and probably here. From the 314, would you guys eat 50% of Buchnevich's deal for the remainder of the season and next to maximize the return? If you get to that point, I would. Uh, and the, the comp that I come up with is Timo Meyer trade last year to the New Jersey Devils. Now, I think he was a... Uh, he was a UFA, if I'm not mistaken, going into that offseason. So he doesn't have the control that Pavel Buchnevich does. But he was 26 years old. He was a year where he scored 31 goals and had 52 points in 57 games played. And he wasn't good defensively. Uh, and what they got in return was two NHL players. Now, they traded a couple of other pieces with Timo Meyer. It wasn't just Timo Meyer, But they got two other NHL players, a former draft uh, a former defenseman that was drafted 20th overall and two first round draft picks. So yeah, I, I would probably 50% of that contract because if you trade Pavel Buchnevich, you're admitting this retool is going to be a little bit longer than you expected. And Buch might not be a part of it. And the pieces that you're getting in return could expedite it in the offseason if that makes sense. Like this is one of those, you make a move in chess for the move you're going to make three moves from now. Yeah. Um, I... I would consider it. I would tr probably try and get it done without having to eat salary. But if it does maximize the return, like it throws in a, a higher-level prospect or throws in an extra like first-round pick or extra second-round pick that originally wouldn't be in the deal, yeah, I can see where the Blues do it because it's $2.4 million against the cap mm -hmm. for next year, and it doesn't really eat, it doesn't really affect much of what's going on this season. I, I would consider it. I, I'm fascinated. JR had a great piece today on The Athletic talking about the retool, and we'll talk about Cairo coming up here in just a little bit, but I I don't know if they're going to be a team that spends the cap next year, especially if they miss the playoffs, because why keep investing that much money up against the cap for a team that is kind of going through a retool? Wait until you're competitive and you feel like you're kind of in the prime years exiting out of this retool. And if that's the case, they can burn $2.4 million to help eat some of a any contract, really, any contract that they want to maximize the return that they're getting. I, it's an interesting case. I, I think they would potentially explore it if they don't view view Booch as someone that's here long term. And Alex, all of the options have to be out there on the table because as much as we like to talk about and fixate on, rightfully so, the lack of flexibility you have among the defensive core as far as individuals you could potentially move in the years to come being so locked in, there isn't much more flexibility when it comes to some of the veteran core members of the forward group. So I think you have to look into that. Yeah, you're not wrong, and I think to T-Bone's point also, like you're not spending to the cap, so maybe that's the dead cap while you let some of the younger players go. This is the tough decision with it all, but uh, uh, when you eat that salary for one year, you're also looking at the saying, it's going to be one more rough year, and then from there we figure it out. I like this one one more before we get to our break. From the 9-8-0, should every head coach have been fired in the NFC East this offseason? <laughs> I, I wouldn't Dable? have fired Dable. I think their problem was they backed the wrong quarterback. Uh, but yeah, I would have said all three other head coaches in the NFC East should have been fired. And There's, we'll talk Mike McCarthy later. Dable didn't give Daniel Jones the contract last offseason, yeah. did he? Dable no. was probably asking for a better 
quarterback. Who, who's the coach that I'm forgetting? Ron Rivera. Oh, yeah. And he then had Nick to be Sirianni. Fired. He yeah. yeah, he had to have been fired, and it wasn't anything about him. It was just that team and where they were. I think Nick Sirianni should be fired, and I think Mike McCarthy should be fired. But we'll get more into Mike McCarthy coming up in just a bit. Coming up next, though, Tebow mentioned JR's piece. He did a questions kind of with the fans talking about where the Blues are at at the halfway mark, and he talked about the core. He only had two players on that core. Are there only two on yours? We'll discuss that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With it, it's a breakaway. Kairou coming in for the hat trick. He shoots. He scores. If you've got a hat, chuck it in your radio because they're flying to the ice at Enterprise Center. Three goals for Kairou. Uh, Jordan Kairou, a hat trick, his first hat trick at home ice during this previous homestand. And He's played well under Drew Bannister. Like, I can't deny the numbers that Jordan Kyrou has put together since he was put back on that line with Robert Thomas and Pavel Buchnevich. Now, if you want to be real nitpicky with it, which, look, if, if you want to, by all means. But in the, what is it, 13, 14 games played, he's got seven goals and 15 points. He's a plus two and averaging about 19 minutes a night on the ice. Jordan Kyrou. Now, nitpick with it he scored the hat trick in one game he scored two goals in the other game so we're talking about two goals amongst the other 12 games that Jordan Kyrou scored for the Blues but still found ways to eliminate the top team's top lines and you were still winning games here's the question though because Jeremy Rutherford had a piece out on the athletic talking about five questions about the Blues at the halfway mark and one of the questions that he asked is who's the Blues core and this is what JR put I'm only going to list two players, Robert Thomas and Colton Pareko. A lot of people are saying, aren't you forgetting a few players? Well, it depends on how you look at it. Is Buchnevich a part of the core? Will he still be here after his contract is up? What about Jordan Cairo? He'll have seven years left on his contract after this season, and the team is definitely building around him and Thomas up front. So, yeah, you could put Cairo in the core, but would you guarantee he'll still be here wearing the team's uniform in three years? Now, I know that might seem far-fetched to people that, yeah, Jordan Kyrou is a part of your core. I agree with JR. The only other one that I would put into the core conversation is the goaltenders. And I know that seems weird. Why wouldn't you just pick one player? Because I think both Jordan Bennington and Joel Hofer are a part of the core of the Blues because they realize that when Bennington's contract is up, Hofer will be ready to step in as that number one goaltender. So I think goaltender is a part of your core. But he's right. And Robert Thomas and Colton Pareko... And if he would have wrote this piece last year, which I almost guarantee you he did, Robert Thomas and Colton Pareko wouldn't have been on that list. I don't know if you had core members on that list last year, but what Thomas and Pareko did this season is proved to a lot of people that, yeah, they're the people, they're the players you're building around. I still think Kairos in that remains to be seen conversation. I think Pavel Buchnevich is in that remains to be seen conversation. I think every single defenseman is in that remains to be seen conversation. And I'll throw even another one out there. I think Braden Shen might be in that remains-to-be-seen conversation because the core that you're talking about is, are they a part of this team in three years? And I don't think anybody that I just listed, unless they have some type of bounce-back season or showcase their ability to be a part of it, is going to be in that conversation. 
Yeah, I see. I I think I would put Cairo into the core for me with the St. Louis Blues, and I understand that there are frustrations, and I have agreed with you for the most part of like you know what I think the future's up in the air for Jordan Cairo. I I think the Blues are going to run it back with them, and I, I think if they run it back this year, then they're just going to hold on to him throughout the contract. And I think it's because when I think of the core, what who are you building around? Well, who's in that top line? I think as we've seen, Thomas and Cairo do have worked pretty well together when they had Booch on that wing. Now they broke it up going into tonight's game. Why? Because they want more depth of scoring. I don't think it's so much a Cairo hasn't played well. Cairo's been really good, as you just mentioned, under Drew Bannister. I think they're just looking for depth of scoring. So I think they will look at it as Thomas and Cairo. That's our one-two punch. Maybe Bucinavich falls into this, but like like you said, right now I just don't think you can guarantee anything because I don't know what his future holds. I think Colton Braco's in into the core for me as well because like you said, he's played extremely well this season. He has proven to be a legitimate shutdown number one defenseman. Everybody else on that defensive core is up for debate. Like I, I could see where they explore a Justin Falk trade, a Tory Krug trade, a Nick Letty trade. Um, and then goaltending-wise, I would just throw Bennington into this because I think there's a chance that whenever Zarenko becomes ready, maybe they look at it and say, you know what, can we put Hofer in a package for whatever we may need because we think Zarenko can do what Hofer's doing this year, which is come up as a rookie, make the however many starts it is that you need from him behind Jordan Bennington. But I do think Bennington is a guy that I would say lock him in place. I don't see the Blues moving on from him at all. Look, I, I, I hate that it always comes back to Cairo because like it does feel like we pick on him a lot. Um, and again, he's played well. He's been almost a point-per-game player since Drew Bannister has taken over. But the reason that I always go back to it and why I would assume JR has him in there is because, man, that's $8.5 million. And, man, you got to be sure that $8.5 million is a part of your team. Not 8.5, sorry, 8.125. You got to be sure that that player is a part of the solution of what you're trying to solve. And I'm not saying that he hasn't been because you definitely have looked like a better team as of late. But you're going to have to see steps forward like Robert Thomas took. If you're not seeing that guy that, yeah, could be a 40-goal scorer from the start to the finish of the season, I'm not sure you live up to those contracts. And maybe it just truly is tinfoil theory here. But there's a reason Doug Armstrong signed him to that eight-year contract extension, and two years of it had no trade clauses not available. Like, his, his no trade clause doesn't kick in until after next season, going into the 2025-2026 season. Everybody complained that, oh, you didn't give him a bridge deal. You should have got a bridge deal before you paid him all the money. Guys, what he did was a bridge deal. He took no trade clauses out of the conversation for the first few years and said, let's see who you are. Let's see if you live up to now, this contract. To be fair on this tinfoil for Doug Armstrong, a player must be 27 or older or have seven occurred seasons to get a no trade. So there you go. So Kyra, that wasn't a Doug Armstrong like put that in there on purpose. Doug Armstrong couldn't put it in there. Understandable. And, but to your point, like... But that's why the bridge deals are usually there. He was paying him it, for what he had done. It, it serves as a bridge deal, essentially. Of yeah. Even though it wasn't like Army directly did this on purpose... It still works out to where it is a bridge deal and he can get out of it. And I, I just it's so tough to judge Jordan Cairo this season. And BK's brought this up before. And the more I've watched him and, and the more I see him, see him play and we get into this core conversation, I don't think you decide it this year, maybe next year before the no trade kicks in, the after uh the what are we in? Twenty after the twenty four, twenty five season. Yeah. Then maybe you try and do what Philadelphia did where they try to get out of the Sandheim deal before the no trade before the in. no trade kicked in. I, I think we're, it's more of a conversation after next yeah. season. But this year, it's so tough to, to grade Jordan Cairo because offensively, his numbers just aren't there. 32 points in 42 games, 12 goals, shooting percentage at 8.3 when he's typically a 14% shooting percentage guy. But defensively, he's taken a step forward. I think we all agree in this room. Defensively, it's no longer like, oh my God, what is Cairo doing? Like he's, 
he just kind of glided back. He's not doing that anymore. He's at least improved defensively, yeah. and I would I would think at some point the offense will come. And by the same token, we keep returning to him because of the interstellar talent, right, of which he's capable of flashing. Now, Alex, I think it's interesting. You referenced his number at 8.125. Now, let's talk about a couple of other figures for the veteran forwards who are locked in place for at least the next couple of years. You mentioned Shin a short time ago. That is a big number in and of itself. Through 26-27, if I'm not mistaken, it's six and a half per year. Even when you think about Brandon Saad for the next two seasons at four and a half, do those considerations, do you have to consider those figures and to what degree when you're factoring into the mix, okay, Cairo, for how long, how is he viewed? Well, and with the cap going up, I mean, the text line does make a fair point. Like 8.125 for almost a point per game guy is a bargain. Absolutely. Yeah. And if his defense improves, the question is, are you going to be a point per game guy? And I, he hasn't been that yet this season. So that remains to be seen. Now to Bradford's point with those veterans, uh, like I, I said Shane, Shen's name at the beginning. The only reason I put Shen's name into that is because Robert Thomas has emerged like one of those leaders. And do the Blues view this as, you know what, Shen's a great player to have, but we've already got kind of that leader. Now what do we do? I think Shen stays here for the rest of his contract. Uh, Brandon Saad, I think there's going to be teams that are interested in Brandon Saad this trade deadline because of what he provides. And again, does that fit into the picture that the Blues are painting? Because it's not so much now or next year. It's two, three years from now. What does this team look like? And that's where JR was getting at with his piece. It comes down to that core, and I think he's right. I think Thomas and Pareko are those guys, and if this season is, not to say a failure, but if you don't get a playoff spot and you're picking in the top 10, like Joey said, there's going to be big changes, and I don't know what those are going to look like, but I would say everybody, nobody is safe on the team with the exception of Robert Thomas and Colton Pareko. Yeah, and, and that I would agree with, because I, I do understand the your perspective of like where Cairo could end up being the guy that they look to deal. I, I just think when you look at him, like when I think of who are you building around, right? You got a number one centerman. Who are your who are going to be the wingers with that number one centerman? Yeah. I, I think it's I think yes, Cairo has disappointed, but I also think like as BK has mentioned, is this year kind of his Robert Thomas year from last year? Maybe. Where next season he takes that step. And that's why I think if they're going to make this decision it's not this offseason, it's next offseason. And it's almost like a year and a half, or really two-year period for Kyra to prove Here's it. the one question that I ask Blues fans then. When you say, who are those wingers with Thomas? Do you want it to be Kyra or Buchnevich? And I hate that it's one or the other, but Doug, I don't believe, is going to sign that guy, meaning pa Pablo Buchnevich, to an $8 million deal. You're hamstrung. I to me and that's to, the question. To me, he won't re-sign Buchnevich because he's thirty, and it's just kind of the trend for Doug Armstrong. Right. Um, if if Booch was going to be twenty, I don't know. Let's throw a number. Booch was going to be twenty six, twenty seven, like Jordan Cairo. I, I think he gets the deal, and then you either a go okay, how do we make this work with these three guys, right. or how do we make this work with Booch and Thomas, and what do we do with Jordan Cairo? Right. I, I'm just skeptical of them giving a contract extension of that money to Pablo Buchnevich because of his age. Yep. And it's just something that Doug Armstrong has not done. One, one player that I've seen brought up on the text line, and I, I kind of thought about throwing him into the core, is Jake Neighbors. Does Jake Neighbors fit into yeah. the core conversation? I, I think I think that's, that's fair. I, I guess it also comes down to how his development grows. But yeah, I, I'm surprised. I guess that's a really good point. I'm surprised JR didn't have him on there. And when, when we talk to JR next week, we can ask him that. But, yeah, because, I mean, my idea of core is Jake Neighbors also, Jimmy Snuggerud, 
Dalibor Dvorsky, but I guess if I'm looking at JR side of things, maybe those are complementary pieces rather than you're talking about core pieces. Yeah, and, and to, J, to JR's point, this is what he wrote today regarding Jake Neighbors. Uh, regarding a few of the other young players on the roster, Neighbors, Prunovich, and Torpchenko, etc., the club certainly likes them, but that's not to say that they couldn't be moved if the right deal came along. Essentially, yeah. it's the conversation that we've if had the about Godfather the Cardinals of like Newbar, Donovan. Right. Are they untouchable? No. Are they likely to get dealt? No, but if the right circumstance arrived and someone right. said we have to have Jake Neighbors in the package, would the Blues be like, no way? And no, are we not so. almost taking his situation for granted because of the reasonable numbers you're going to right. get for the next few and years? I, yeah, and I can't sit here and talk about Jordan Cairo and then sit there and look at Jake Neighbors and be like, oh, well, he's untouchable as well. I think there's two guys that are untouchable on this team, and it's Robert Thomas and Colton Pareko. And I'd argue Jordan Bennington, but I can understand the argument on the other side of it. Tanner Hendrickson, Bradford Bruns, I'm Alex Ferrari. We'll get into some more Blues talk a little bit later on in the show. And we've got Beat the Blues today, so I believe it's Kevin Hayes. Your opportunity to win a Kevin Hayes signed puck and Blues tickets to uh, the January 30th game against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, so if you want your opportunity to beat the Blues, make sure you stay tuned. 1.30 uh, we'll be doing that contest. But coming up next, it's Thursday, and it's T-Bone's favorite day of the week. We'll hit Believe It or Not next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, T-Bone. Mm. I'm 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 shorthanded today with the voice, so you better take a hold of this one. Bradford, let's hear those pipes. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never felt I could feel so free. Out a win and a prayer. Who could it be? Who could it be? Believe oh, it or not, it's just me. Some backup vocals from Bradford Bruns today. We were all kind of out of sorts. Just a one, little bit. I told you I was shorthanded. One, we didn't exactly know who was taking BK's role. Well, mm. that's true. Two, I jumped in at the end. I screwed up my lyrics for the second you time in like three again? weeks. I did yeah, too. I know. I, I didn't. I don't know what I didn't happened. Screw mine up. Harmonizing. Just, come on, come on. The vocals aren't there. It's, it's Maybe okay we should have some sessions. Yeah, we should have some sessions. We should make an album. We should. I told you, TNA. Sorry, sorry, Bradford. We just got to get rid of the B because BK's gone. You understand. Yeah. No offense. It's believe it or not, you send us a scenario. We will tell you if we believe it or not. Air Comfort Service text line is 314-399-9646. You can also send them to us on our studio cams, our YouTube channel at 101ESPNSTL, uh, our Air Alliance team group sponsors those studio cams let's start with this one boys believe it or not we will see at least one underdog win this weekend in the divisional round hmm. uh, so texans i would i don't know who's packers the, who's the underdog in chiefs bills uh that's a good question i don't it's gotta know be if the I'd, chiefs right but to be on like can we Doesn't throw in a little caveat yeah, I guarantee I'm, it's I'm not a sure one there's really much of a upset when like, i think upset i'm thinking like Packers, Bucks, Texans. Yeah. Uh, Bills are favored by three. So essentially, what Vegas is telling you is because they're at home, they're yeah. favored. Yeah. I. So yeah, you're going Bucks, Packers, Texans. Yeah, I, I will believe this because I have some faith that the Houston Texans can beat the Baltimore Ravens. Now, it does help that Baltimore looks like they're going to get Mark Andrews back. He's back at practice, practicing after missing most of the season. I think that's a huge help for that offense because I, I can't, I've mentioned this before. I, I look at that offense and outside Lamar, I go. 
what the why am I, why should I be excited about this offense? Say Flowers is good. Yeah. He's not a number one yet. OBJ's old and washed up. They don't really have a running back that really scares you. And now that Andrews is back, you feel a little bit better about the tight end spot. But I, I think with the Texans, CJ Stroud has already kind of started to allow me to trust him based on watching him against a great Cleveland Browns defense. Why can't he do it again at Baltimore? So I would say I'll believe this. And I know that once again, C.J. Stroud absolutely proceeded to show out against that Cleveland defense. I have been surprised, though, at the transformation of Nico Collins in the second half of the season to what appears to be an upper echelon number one type threat. Can Baltimore take him away enough to make Houston a little more one dimensional? Because in a playoff setting, guys, I'm still not trusting Devin Singletary to get me what I need on the ground. I am surprised, actually, that that number right now is Bills by three. It is a pick'em-esque scenario here and just not to be, not to masquerade as BK here, but you do feel as if there are a number of different reasons as to why, honestly, Kansas City could put a bit of a stranglehold on this game. And specifically, it is because of how on the second level of that Buffalo defense, it's a bit banged up. If Mahomes is able to connect with Rice specifically, I'm not saying Kelsey, Rice, and Pacheco can gouge that second level of the Buffalo defense, I would actually feel really good about, once again, Kansas City getting back to the AFC title game. I, uh, I think there's two upsets. I think Houston and Packers win. Oh, I'm completely out on the Packers. I, uh, I, 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 I Someone's would say, fallen a little too much for the last round. I, I hate Jordan Love. I said he was average last week, and then the guy played well. I just, I don't, anytime teams are sitting around waiting, it makes me very nervous. I'm not concerned about the 49ers because I just think they're a buzzsaw. I, I think they proved in the regular yeah, season. But like, they also have Brock Purdy. They are. Can I, be a I buzzsaw, know, can be a liability. I, I think with his weapons being healthy, you don't have to rely yeah. on Brock Purdy to actually beat you. All right, T-Bone, what do you got? Guys, believe it or not, the Cardinals will have five-plus position players with an OPS over 800. 800. And just to give you a sense, last year there were three guys that did this. Contreras with an 826 OPS, Paul Goldschmidt with an 810 OPS, and Nolan Gorman with an 805 OPS. So I think two of those three are certain. I just don't know with Nolan Gorman. My guess would say yes. Uh, I think Arenado will be back there, and then... You're, you're basically saying one of Newbar or Walker. I think both could be in that conversation. So, yeah, I'll say believe this one. I think you could have six if Gorman stays healthy and plays well for you. I'll believe it as well. And your numbers, Tanner, reinforce my line of thinking here. Jordan Walker finished last season, if I'm not mistaken, in the 760s. He is going to make that proverbial leap in 2024. If what we saw in August and September is any indication of what is to come, he's going to transform into that guy. The fact that Arenado couldn't get there last year, pretty mind-blowing in that regard. And Lars New if he's out there on the field who here doesn't expect him to at least sniff that territory so yeah i'd go five maybe even six yeah i believe it as well and i think you're right about arnado and let's just be honest arnado not having an 800 ops season will put the cardinals back in the same oh, yeah. spot they were you'll be a bad uh, this team. previous season i i think Newbar walker can get there and can i throw another wild card out here and i'm curious what you guys think of this one because he wasn't that far behind last year, and he was playing with one arm. Um, Brendan Donovan. Yeah. Brendan Donovan last year had a 787 OPS, and if his power kind of continues to surge like we saw last year, he had 11 home runs in just ni- uh, 95 games. I, I could I could yeah. hear an argument for where maybe Donovan kind of surprises well, us and gets into that 800 OPS range. And I know two of the, at least two of these guys we just mentioned are going to be disappointments because there's no way you have seven guys that are going to be 800-plus OPSs, but – Man, to be talking about seven guys that have the chance, that's why we at least could get excited about this offense. Bradford? 
Not great times, as we established earlier in the show in Como with respect to the hoops. But I'm going to swing this in the direction of football next fall. So, as you well know, guys, Alabama right now losing top-level talent, five stars left and right to the transfer portal. I am examining this Mizzou football schedule for 2024. Believe it or not, I'm looking at Oklahoma, yes, giving the Sooners strong consideration to compete, maybe even pull it out at Faro Field. But now all of a sudden, that trip to Tuscaloosa doesn't look quite as daunting. Believe it or not, Mizzou actually gets through the SEC slate undefeated heading to the college football playoff. No I joke. Love, I love how he, t- he said on the Chiefs one, I'm not going to take BK's role. And now this <laughs> yeah. is so BK's this role. Well, happening. we found BK's role. Um, I mean, their SEC schedule, to be fair, like it is looking a lot easier more manageable than this past season like vanderbilt at home vanderbilt sucks uh at texas a&m going to college station could be tough i don't know if they're gonna have a great team under their new first year coach auburn will be okay probably but mizzou's got a better roster bama's lost a ton of talent on the road oklahoma they'll be okay i'll I'm not going to believe it, and the reason why is I think there could be one hiccup somewhere. And it's still the SEC. And I heard Kerry mention this yesterday on the fast lane of there's a like how many teams went undefeated in the SEC this past year. The answer to that is zero, and that just tells you how tough the conference is. I do agree with what you're saying though, with Bama losing a ton of talent, new coach, Saban retiring. The schedule looks a lot easier. Somewhere along the line, I could see a hiccup just because the SEC is so deep. If Georgia were on the schedule, I'd have a completely different slant. Hundred percent. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I think they've lost their way. I don't think that they know who they are. If you know who you are as a team, you can you can fit into it. Like that is what we do. If you want to be a power team, then you can't be running into outs. If you want to be a team that is fundamentally sound and you're putting pressure on the opponent, then be that team. But they're caught in between constantly. And I've made this point before about the roster as a whole. Some guys <laughs> run. Some guys hit for average. Some guys have power. I've, I've, I've been on this kick recently of know how you win games, know how you lose games. Be Have an identity. Have an identity. Yeah. I think the I think the Blues have a little bit of that right now, where it's like, how how are you winning? How are you losing? Well, some nights it's this, and some that is how you wind up being an average team. Right. The Cardinals right now, going into next year, we don't really know how they're going to win games, how they're going to lose games. So that was Anthony Stalter and Kerry Davis on the fast lane yesterday. You'll hear from those two later on today, starting at two o'clock, leading us up into Blues hockey uh, and talking about the identity of the Cardinals. And although I do understand what Stalter's saying, like, yeah, this team um, has a couple of guys who are power hitters, a couple of guys who are speed guys, a couple of guys who are pure contact guys, but you don't have a lineup that resembles what you're trying to accomplish. I do agree with them there, but I also think that's what their identity is. Their identity is depth and a variety of offensive players that can do a lot of different things. The reason that I would disagree is like that's the identity they're going with this season. It's very evident that their identity is not going to be pitching. It's not going to be depth of pitching. It's going to be how does their offense do because they've got all of the weapons. That is what we just talked about. Seven guys potentially who could be 800 plus OPSs at the end of the season. That's their identity, and the versatility is their identity of how they use different guys and deploy them in the lineup. 
My problem with that is, and to Stoltz's point, I don't trust it. I don't trust their offense to actually be their identity because the problem last year was, sure, you had the the prowess of Goldschmidt and Arenado. Well, that wasn't there for half of the season. You had the dangerous play of what Walker and Gorman could be, but that was inconsistent at times, and defense had struggled there. And then you had the injuries that popped up with Newbar and Donovan. So on that front, I don't trust it. You had the ability to score with runners in position. That part I don't trust. So I hope their offense shows out and shows everybody like, yeah, this is what the expectation was, where Donovan's getting on base, Edmonds got the speed, Walker's hitting bombs, and you've got Gorman and all these other pieces. That's what their identity is supposed to be, but I don't trust it actually to be that, and now you don't have any other fallback to drop to. Yeah, I, I actually think like I think their identity's clear and I think it is they are a offensive first team. Like they are going to win games because of the offense. Because I, I don't trust the pitching a lot. I, I think you can trust Sonny Gray, but like Michaelis Matz, Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson, what those guys give you on a night in, night out basis, I think's up in the air and we'll see how it pans out. I I think they're an offensive first team. I think if they're going to how are they going to win games? I think it's because the offense is going to win games for them. I think they're going to have to win games probably like 4-3, 5-4 this year, which, look, I, I think it's totally fair to go, is that sustainable? Because I would say you're better off being a team that says, we don't really have an offense, but hot damn, that's a great rotation that we've got. Or that is a great bullpen that we have. And I, I think with the offense and like the identity, if you want to say they're – you know, they don't necessarily are a slug first team. I, I think they're a well-balanced offense. I think they got guys that get on base a lot like a new bar, a Donovan. You can throw Goldschmidt's name in. That's why this guy right here with his hand raised said he should lead off uh, two years ago. Um, yeah, so not going to happen, buddy. And I know, it should. But they also have guys that hit for power. I mean, you. I think they have the potential. We just talked about it and you mentioned it. I think they got five, six guys that could have an OPS over 800. And that, Now, that's on base and slugging, but I think that they have guys that – five, six guys that have 20 home run power – like Gorman, he has like 35 home run power. Contreras has 20 home run power, as you saw last year. Arnado Goldie, we know. Jordan Walker had 16 in 117 games. He's probably going to get up to that 25 mark. And if you get a healthy year out of Newt and Donovan, Newt can probably be a 20 home run guy. Donovan, maybe he would be close, but at best he's probably 15 to 20 home runs. Like I, I think they are a slug baby slug team, which I've been really advocating for for the last handful of years. And their pitching is going to be a question mark. And I, I think for them in the regular season, the formula for them to win is they're going to have to be offense first. And when they get to the postseason, if they get to the postseason, that's where it's going to become interesting because it's a lot tougher to win with an offense first identity. But the way they do that, I think, is they shorten games with their bullpen. I don't disagree with you. Here's my quandary. And I like that you used the word balance because that inevitably is going to have to come from the younger supporting cast members. How many contenders, National League, American League, throughout all of baseball, gentlemen. How many contenders count as their three offensive linchpins? Because make no mistake about it, when we get to opening day, when we see this team enter competition against the Los Angeles Dodgers, in whatever order, two through four in the lineup will be some combination of Goldschmidt, Arenado, and Contreras. Walker's not going to get the bump yet. Gorman isn't going to be hitting in the top four. You're relying on your linchpins right now are 36, 32, and 31, respectively. Age is but a number. Is that the formula True. here? But you're leaning on that formula. You still, until proven otherwise, are relying the most on those guys. 
to diminishing returns. We already saw that in isolation last season from Paul Goldschmidt. Is he automatically going to revert at 36 to MVP form? Have we seen the best of Nolan Arenado offensively and defensively? Is Wilson Contreras going to fare much better than he did in the second half of last season offensively? All of these are valid questions. See, see when, when we're talking about these teams and like that, you know, have a different identity throughout the lineup and they're not really sure who they are, like, isn't that kind of the Atlanta Braves? Like, I don't know if the Atlanta Braves are viewed as solely a slug baby slug team. Now, I know that they just had two guys or one guy that was at 50, two guys that were at 40. But do you view Ronald Acuna Jr. as a slug baby slug guy? Because I view him as a dude who can hit home runs, but also gets on base and steals bases. Does everything. I think they are a well-balanced team. I think they get kind of, to your point of, like, do you view them as a slug baby slug team? I think the casual fan, a lot of people would view them that way because they had a 500 slugging percentage as a but team, like if which had been done since like the 27 Yankees. But if you look further into it, like Eddie Rosario played 140 games for him and, and hit 21 home runs. Michael Harris, who played 138, had 18 home runs. Like, yeah, it's really good, but we're also talking about guys with on base percentage of 305, 331, 321 yep. that have 25 stolen bases, 39 stolen bases. Like, I mean... This is this is a team that has their sluggers I, and also have their their runners. Yeah, I, I think to your point, I think the lineup for them is really balanced. As you said, they got runners, they get on base, they hit the living crap out of the baseball. Right. I, I think the difference between like what we're talking about with the Braves and like do they? If I said what is the Braves' identity, you could give like four different oh, yeah. answers. You could say, well, they've got a great bullpen, Pitching. they can shorten games, their rotation <laughs> is awesome when they're healthy. Oh, their lineup, by the way, slugged 500 for the first time since the 27 Yankees. Like, yeah. they just have all different. Like, if if one thing of that team, like if the Braves' offense goes through like a three week stretch where it is really cold. They can still win and be above 500 in that stretch. Why? Because they're pitching. My concern for the Cardinals, and it's why, like, I think they have an identity. And if you want to say it's a winning identity or um, it's an identity that would concern you, is if the offense goes cold, uh, call me concerned because I don't know oh, if they well, yeah. have the pitching in ter- to survive if the offense goes cold. Now, what what I like about them and the way they are built, and Bradford kind of alluded to it, is all those guys that I've mentioned for this lineup for the Cardinals is, yeah, they're going to go probably Goldie, Gorman, Arnado, Contreras, two through five. What's nice is Walker is hitting sixth. Guys, if Jordan Walker's a six-hole hitter and he has 20 to 30 home run power, then you should be aligned perfectly to where, you know what, if Goldie does go through a rut, maybe someone picks up for him to where now you don't feel the presence of, I think, three years ago or two years ago where it was Goldie Arnado aren't hitting. Well, there goes the Cardinals yeah. season. See ya. That's banking on a guy like Contreras doing, you would think, the bulk of the catching and also providing elite offense at the position in the lineup. The difference between a St. Louis and an Atlanta right now, guys, is that whereas in Atlanta you have somebody who's a former rookie of the year in Michael Harris, he's 22 right now. He has room to grow. He can be a complimentary piece farther down in that lineup because the Braves have so many guys, you could argue, who haven't even entered their respective primes. Acuna still growing as a player. Matt Olson just had a career season, whereas on the Cardinals side of things, Goldschmidt, Arenado, we've already seen them reach these hallowed heights. Can you really improve that much more? That's your difference, and that's your difference between an elite team right now and a team just competing in the division. That's why we've continued the conversation of you got to go get a starting pitcher. You need a fallback, and I don't think you have a fallback right now when that offense goes dry, whereas... I look at other teams and you say, like, yeah, if their offense dips or an injury takes place, they got their pitching to fall back on. The Cardinals don't. If if th- something happens or if an injury takes place, 
you're bleeped and you're looking at probably another top 10 pick. And, and I think you can get away with it in the regular season to what you just said, to where like if you're an offensive first team and you don't really have the pitching, I think you can survive the regular season. I mean, look at the Reds. I know they didn't make the playoffs. They had no pitching last year. Their offense was pretty good, and it's what kept them afloat and into the playoff picture into late September, and then they just ultimately didn't get over the hump and missed the playoffs. I think you can survive the way that the Cardinals are built right now to get to the playoffs. My concern, though, is like once you get to the playoffs, like if you run into the Braves, for example, <laughs> in a playoff series, best of three wild card round, all right, you're getting to see Spencer Strider and pick your point, Max Freed. Arguably two of the best pitchers in baseball. You didn't even mention who, Chris Sale. Yeah, exactly. who can shut down a great offense. Well, then what are you falling back on? Your rotation? Your rotation's not good enough outside of Sonny Gray. And I think that's where they're kind of trying to do two different things at once. The way they're constructed now, and this is before we have a trade deadline conversation, of, all right, let's see if our offense can win us baseball games in the regular season. And once we get to October, as Mo said, it would our warm-up, hopefully our bullpen can really start to can really solidify itself in the regular season. They hit on the Rule 5 pick. They hit on a Kittredger they acquired in the Palacios deal. And they can go, okay, now that we're in the postseason, the bullpen is what our mm. identity is to where we shorten games and hope that the offense just does enough. Talk about a chasm here. It's all hypothetical, of course, but... If Chris Sale is right as a lefty, he's at the back end of the Atlanta rotation. Would he not measure up comparably, favorably, with a Sonny Gray on the Cardinals side? They're not that far apart, right? Not that far apart. Think about that. That is the back end piece of the Braves rotation. And I think it's safe to say at this point, we're sitting here on January the 18th. The MO for the offseason, the moves... They went out and made them very early. It's about trying to reclaim that mantle pitching-wise of reliability. Because last season, Michaelis, he turns in his second consecutive 200-inning season. Say what you will about the results, about the weak starts, especially at home. He threw 200 innings again. Two other Cardinals limped to even Eclipse 100. That was Matz. That was Wainwright. Then you have to go down the list to even find a Dakota Hudson in the 80s. And beyond that, it's Zach Thompson in the 60s. So what did you do? You went out and you at least got guys whose one, one defining characteristic throughout their major league careers, they will log starts. They will go out and take the ball 25 to 35 times for you per season. And yes, they're older now. They're in their mid to late 30s. But a Kyle Gibson and a Lance Lynn, if nothing else, will not give you fewer than, in all likelihood, 140, 150 innings. And that's just something on which you couldn't count at all last season. That's getting back to basics. He's Bradford Bruns, Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Alex Ferrario. Junk Drawer is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Alongside Taylor Hendrickson, Bradford Bruns, Alex Ferrario. Coming up at 30 minutes, it's your opportunity to beat Kevin Hayes. Can you beat the Blues and win a signed Kevin Hayes puck and tickets to see the Blues against the Blue Jackets on January 30th? So keep it locked here. 1.30 we'll be playing Can You Beat the Blues? But now we play a game that's typically Alex complains and shouts at the clouds. But instead, I'll take the day off and let Tanner do it. Yeah, guys, so my junk your story today, when, when you were growing up, did you have like a, whether it be a video game, an arcade game, something that you could do and you could just do it for hours oh, upon yeah. hours? Yeah, Goldeneye. 
on N64. I could do that for... I did it for probably like six or seven hours straight. Get home from school, do it until about two o'clock in the morning. Well, until about a couple of weeks ago, I guess BK thought I was the foremost gamer, so I don't have the video games, unfortunately. I liked chess. Huge surprise. I I didn't know. I could not do. Hold on. Hold on. How long can you actually play chess? Because I feel like after you play one game, it's like, screw this, I'm done. Chess is like. I can do multiple games. Chess is like Monopoly. Oh, no, no, Where no, I get no, pissed no. after a little bit. No. Maybe I'm not educated enough to play chess. Chess You're is not. life yeah. over here for Bobby Fischer. Come on. Yeah, I, I like chess. I could do that for a while. I kick, your, I kick I, your ass in chess. One that I don't know that I could do a lot of was Space Invaders. I love playing Space Invaders. We had that at... Uh, I know, but we had that... Like Pac-Man 2? Yeah, I do, actually. Pong? When we went to... Uh, when I was out, I don't remember when it was. I think October when I was out for a bachelor party, we had an arcade game at our Airbnb, and I played that till like four in the morning. Um, but anyways, the reason I asked that question is because there is a man in Ohio that is attempting to set the new world record for how long he plays pinball for. He is trying to play pinball for sixty-three consecutive hours okay like does that mean he's got to keep the ball alive for 63 hours or like if he loses he puts more change in my understanding is he just keeps playing oh i mean like i could do that just stand there for 63 hours oh i could not do that just because that's what 23 days yeah you just i'm gonna have to make sure there's a there's a area to release myself in yeah uh, for bodily fluids and gotta make sure i can eat I mean, considering that I received a text at like 8 o'clock last night that said you're yeah. going to bed, yeah. you could not stay awake for 62 well, plus hours. I mean, I took some medicine, so that's why I had to go to bed. Yeah. If I'm, I'm, I'm sure. assuming I'm in full health and strength at this time. I, I, and technically, you only got to keep one hand on it. I couldn't. I could not do this. I, I could not do play pinball Pinball is different, though, too, long. because you have to stand next to it. Like, video games are yeah. like you get to sit on a comfortable couch. Well, see, I, I, like, I'm trying to think, like, what is the longest that I could do, like, doing a video game or playing a arcade game kind of like that is like maybe maybe three hours oh, is my yeah. max no, i could go Ooh. all day I, with it i remember having when i was growing up i had surgery i think it was the summer going into my sixth grade year i had hernia surgery and i had to sit out basically like the whole summer from doing any athletic events uh-huh. and i couldn't go like up and downstairs i couldn't do like anything while i recovered from surgery Been there. so all i did is play video games i kid you not by the end of like a week i was like oh, i just bored. i gotta do something else i cannot continue to play video games yeah. because i'm getting bored keep playing the same game i don't know what to do i i could not do this so when you had to uh when i had to prep for a colonoscopy if anybody's ever had to do that you drink the stuff and you're on the bathroom the whole time i put a television in the bathroom and just hooked the system up to it because i knew i was gonna be sitting there all day so i did that for four hours probably that's 500 iq right there let let me tell you something 500 iq but it was either that or just sitting there doing nothing because by the time you get up and walk out you're going right back in some of these customized machines they're pretty cool sounds very tron-esque to me someone brought up for it someone brought up sims um do you ever play the sims growing up i never really got into it i I didn't didn't either i played it and i'm like meh okay like i got bored with that pretty quick you know one game that i did really get into and why i don't really know at this point um zoo tycoon did you ever play that Oh my is that, gosh! Is that building like the roller coasters? Oh, no, see, I did the roller the zoo. Oh, see, I did the roller coaster tycoon. What was the ro- I don't remember that. One. It was you just built like a theme park or no, theme I park didn't tycoon. Know that, was a thing. that one I did. You read my mind. I was just thinking about yeah. that because my daughter's a, a comparable game actually is Planet Zoo. So essentially, you're you the go. architect yeah. of a megalopolis I, with zoos. Yeah. We had that game on my dad's computer when I was growing up, and I can remember being like, 
getting home from school going, I'm going to go build my zoo. And then dad would get home and go, no, please, another hour while I can build my zoo. Yeah, I used to, I used to hog my uh, family computer for the longest time playing those video games. So uh, thank God video games kept getting updated, and then I'd purchase new systems for that one. Tanner Hendrickson. Bradford Bruns, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next, we got some news yesterday on the Dallas Cowboys that Mike McCarthy is staying put. <laughs> what? I was surprised as all hell. But then there's other coaches that I'm like, man, he's still there? We'll discuss that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Bradford Bruns, I'm Alex Ferrario, BKN Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So we'll get to our Beat the Blue segment coming up in about 30 minutes or so. Your opportunity to take on Kevin Hayes or Robert Thomas in our Beat the Blues segment. It is officially back on BKN Ferrario. Also officially back is Mike McCarthy in Dallas. All right. Yeah. Jerry Jones said, you know what? I love getting bounced in the first round of the playoffs with a team that can win 11 games in the regular season, so let's run it back. I saw today that he's going to get to host a championship, and (laughs) now it's not in football. Well, it is in football. Uh, I saw the World Cup's championship is going to be held in Dallas, so Jerry can at least have a championship game there. Maybe somebody will win a championship because they don't have Mike McCarthy as the coach. Look at the confetti come down. This This was Jerry Jones' statement. I believe this team is very close and capable of achieving our ultimate goals, and the best step forward for us will be with Mike McCarthy as our head coach. A great benefit to continuing the team's progress under Mike's leadership as our head coach. Just that right there. How? Why? Really? Like, Mike McCarthy gives you your best chance to achieve the ultimate goal of winning a Super Bowl. When in the last two years... They have looked underwhelming. They have looked like a team that wasn't prepared to play in a playoff game. Your quarterback needed to be pumped up by the head coach because he wasn't ready for that stage. And your game planning was crap. And now Mike McCarthy is just, you know what? He gets our back and our support because we feel he's our best chance to win a Super Bowl. If there was only one head coach available on this market, I'd say, cool. I see what they're doing there. Nothing else. Might as well run it back until something better's out there. But there are like four options right now that are significantly better, and I'm actually being uh, generous with that. There's a lot of options that are a better option than Mike McCarthy, and you can't use track record of the reason why you stick with them. Yeah, I was shocked when I saw the news of Mike McCarthy staying because of what you said. If you're the Dallas Cowboys— there's not a lot supporting Mike McCarthy lately in Dallas based on quote-unquote track record. And you're right. It's not like it's like an offseason where like the best candidate is Joe Judge when he got hired by the Giants. Right. And it was like, oh, yeah, I guess you got to kind of settle for that guy. No, it's Bill Belichick. It's Jim Harbaugh. It's uh, who, oh, uh, Vrabel, who was also yeah. available. Ben I, Johnson. I, I was shocked by the fact that they decided to stick to him. And then I saw kind of more kind of speculation. I don't know if you'd call it reporting, but kind of speculation of – was this Dak Prescott saving Mike McCarthy's job? And you know what? I, I think there's actually probably some truth to that because... But man, the way I looked in the playoffs, if I'm Dak Prescott, I don't know if I want him as my head coach. But that wasn't that wasn't so much Dak not trusting McCarthy. That was Dak just playing like crap. Because if you don't you need Dak's, your coach to pump you up? No, I mean, if that's the case, you know who's a problem? It's Dak, not Mike McCarthy. Oh, I also I, agree with that statement. I, I think you look at it, I think Dak Prescott said... 
hey, this was the first year under Mike McCarthy. He played really well in the system. I mean, he had a 69.5 completion percentage, best in his career. He threw 36 touchdown passes, second best in his career, and nine interceptions. Like He played fantastic under Mike McCarthy in the regular season. And I think Dak Prescott said, no, I don't want to go through another change. I, I don't want to go through a change where we have to bring in a new coach. And if it's Bill Belichick, sure, Bill Belichick's great. He's defensive-minded. Then I have to learn another system under a new offensive coordinator. I'd rather just have Mike McCarthy back, given his given his flaws from the outside perspective. At this point, if you were Dak Prescott, why would you not hitch your wagon all of it to Mike McCarthy? As you said, year one of McCarthy calling the shots, running that system. For the last three seasons, what are we talking about here? Mike McCarthy has produced tremendous results in the regular season. Dak Prescott on a couple of occasions, not counting all of the interceptions, the interception late in 2022 season. He's been terrific in the regular season. If your goal, not to win a championship, but is to essentially own the NFC East, congratulations, tip your cap. But this was the season in which Dallas should have made that jump. If it didn't happen this year, with Philadelphia being a lame duck team for almost the entirety of the second half of the season, this was your chance to, at the very least, advance to the NFC title game. How dominant all year long, guys, was Dallas at home? And to go out there to appear at first glance to be completely ill-prepared to deal with one of the youngest, if not the youngest team in the entire league, to be blindsided like that. And Dak is not off the hook here, okay? He threw the back-breaking pick six near the end of the first half, but even in the beginning stages of that game, it was Dallas, a more veteran team that appeared to be really shell-shocked. There is no consistent running game. You have to get somebody, at least in addition to Tony Pollard, you have to get somebody else who's complimentary in the receiving game. I don't know where CeeDee Lamb was for the better part of that game. Maybe you found a great tight end option you can develop in Ferguson, but there are many different moving parts here for Dallas, and what we're going to see transpire, very, very predictable. McCarthy will be in place. Fill out the rest of his contract. One more season. Great. So who's going to take the fall and or move on? It's going to be Dan Quinn. Now, I don't know how excited you are about bringing him in if you're another organization as a head coach, given what we saw from that unit, because how much of his success has relied almost exclusively or in great part to Micah Parsons. And it's actually interesting because there was a report that surfaced this morning that it sounds like Dan Quinn will be back. If he yeah, doesn't get a head coaching wants, job, nobody wants to interview uh, him after that I, trash. I, well, I think I mean he's getting interviews. I and I think like he could still be a great coach. I just think that like I don't know if there's a. I think most of the blame belongs on Mike McCarthy for a not telling Dan Quinn to go away from the plan where they had two high. But safeties. as much as it's on Dan, or as much as it's on Mike McCarthy, like Dan Quinn's the defensive coordinator, and you were taking on Jordan Love, and I mean your defense did not look anything like your defense looked all season long. Everybody was talking about the reason they were going to win a Super Bowl was because of their defense, and then Dak kind of took off. Now I know that they had their injury with Diggs. But that would be my skepticism of Dan Quinn as my head coach. It's like, dude, you're the defensive coordinator, and you couldn't come up with a game plan for the Packers. Yeah, I, it, it's interesting. But and I'm, I agree with Bradford. I, I thought for sure, like when when this news came out, and it was okay, who's going to be the fall guy? Quinn was going to be the fall guy. And then when I saw the report this morning, and it was, oh yeah, if he doesn't get a head coaching job, he's back. Which I guess I understand it to a certain extent because they were so good in the regular season, and you just look at that playoff game and go. Boy, that was such an odd blip on the radar. Like, you really shouldn't weigh too much into it. But again, there's such a great coaching carousel out yeah. there. And kind of some breaking news in terms of this, yeah, looking at the, the looking at this coaching search, former Titans head coach Mike Vrabel is in L.A. today interviewing for the L.A. Chargers job. Which, Intriguing. Which is fun because the Chargers have already interviewed Jim Harbaugh. Now you throw in Mike Vrabel. 
there's a bunch of coaches, these three coaches that we've talked about, Vrabel, Harbaugh, uh, Bill Belichick, two of those three have had interviews with two of the same squads. The Falcons yeah. have interviewed both Harbaugh, had a second interview with Belichick today, and the Chargers interviewed Harbaugh as well, and Harbaugh interviewed with the Atlanta Falcons. So the Chargers and Falcons are two teams that are for sure making a big splash at the head coaching position. And what is the common denominator there? I don't think we know as much about the demeanor of a Mike Vrabel, but Bill Belichick, certainly. And when you're talking about the other holes there at Jim Harbaugh, personalities, guys who love to throw their influence, their power, the personalities around. And Jerry Jones, as we have known since the Jimmy Johnson and Barry Switzer days, there is somebody who is consistently in place for years, maybe even a decade at a time. Look no further than Jason Garrett. Guys who are not going to give that automatic resistance. Jerry Jones runs the show, and that will be the case until whenever it is that he is finally ready to relinquish some control of that organization. That's the other reason, too. I was surprised that Philadelphia stuck with Nick Sirianni. Now, that one makes at least a little bit more sense. Like I, I feel like that's like the Craig Berube route where you had a bad year and you say it's a one-off. Let's see what it looks like next year, get them better coordinators. And if it's bad again, then you make that deal with Sirianni. But, man, with all these players available, this uh, or the, all of these coaches available this offseason, it's surprising when a, a team that, even if you put up 11 victories, showcased your mediocrity in the playoffs don't look elsewhere rather than the guys that they already have uh, in-house Tanner Hendrickson Bradford Bruns I'm Alex Ferrario coming up next we'll get into some other storylines around Major League Baseball and we haven't had this one in a while and guess what it feels like the wild wild west in here right now because it's time for our Major League Baseball offseason roundup next on 101 ESPN We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I can promise you T-Bone's doing all those today. It's time for our Major League Baseball offseason roundup. God, you two are going to be my saviors today. Plenty to get into that doesn't even involve the Cardinals. But let's start with one that might involve the Cardinals. Dylan Cease, right? Everybody still on board with the uh, Dylan Cease coming Tom to St. Louis? Oh, sure. Why not, right? Make the trade. Well, it's not happening. Mm. Sorry. Uh, uh, update is the Chicago White Sox said that uh, we aren't getting what we feel we deserve for Dylan Cease. So he's not available via trade, and we'll trade him maybe at the trade deadline. So, um if that's the case, then the Cardinals are really out of it because Dylan C's going into the trade deadline. Uh, no bueno. Yeah, I I think this is such a misstep by the Chicago White Sox because why would you hold on to him? Now, look, I get it. They're looking for the right offer to this. But if you hold on to him and he gets hurt or he doesn't pitch well, well, then this whole idea of we're going to. We're going to stand tall, partner. We're not going to trade him for nothing. Draw, partner. It goes to, oh, crap. Now we got to take a less less of an offer for him. And, and look, I understand them holding firm because you look at the pitching market and you go, man, this market stinks. But I, I think they're going to have to cave at some point. I know Mark Feinstein reported yesterday, you know, a lot of executives believe he's going to be a White Sox come opening day. I'm still skeptical. I, I think he gets traded. I think somebody finally makes the decision and goes, Hey, you know what? We really need a guy. We can't. We're not going to pay Blake Snell. We're not going to pay Jordan Montgomery. Let's just do this and let's trade for Dylan Cease. I still think he gets moved. This is the same organization that wanted to blow it up following a disappointing 2023, right? Goodbye, general manager. You cut ties with Tim Anderson. Why would you hang on to him? 
it simply doesn't make sense. If you're going for a wholesale change, if you're looking to influence or change that culture, which apparently was a major, major problem there on the South side, then make the move now because despite the division in which you play, I don't think anyone, even the most optimistic Shy Sox fan is sitting here right now and saying, we have an actual chance to compete even with Dylan Cease for the first half of 2024. Uh, side note, we are going to do Beat the Blues next segment. I was supposed to open with that, and I didn't because I got so excited about our roundup. So we need three different contestants who want to try and beat Kevin Hayes uh, to win a signed Kevin Hayes puck and tickets to the Blues versus Blue Jackets. To be selected, text in right now, 314-399-9646 to our Air Comfort Service text line saying you can beat the Blues, and we'll pick three different contestants to go up against Kevin Hayes coming up in about seven minutes or so. So 314-399-9646 text that you can beat the blues to our air comfort service text line. Join us partner. Oh, look at that. Yeehaw. Indeed. Let's move on to the next story in our major league baseball off season. Bradford coming in hot. Another potential starting pitcher via trade that could be available is Alec Manoa. We talked about him in the past. It seemed like the Blue Jays backed off of wanting to trade him after the down season. Well, they just signed Cuban pitcher Yariel Rodriguez, who has a lot of excitement surrounding him as a reliever. But the Blue Jays brought him over and said, no, we think he's going to be a starting pitcher for us. And it makes sense because they need a lot of starting pitching in terms of depth. And I forgot who put it out there, but somebody posed the question, does that create the opportunity of the Cardinals or not the Cardinals, the Blue Jays to trade Alec Manoa? And I've always been on the stance, T-Bone, that if he becomes available, I would look into it because I think he could be one of those buy low candidates that gets back to his form. Uh, But now that the Blue Jays have gone out there and got another pitcher they view as a starter, does that change their opinion on the Manoa's front? Yeah, this Rodriguez deal is interesting because he hasn't he didn't pitch at all last year except for in the WBC and I I saw him pitching the WBC he's got fantastic stuff so I love the signing for the Blue Jays but it does put into question what are they going to do with Manoa and they've been reported to be kind of floating in the weeds for the Blake Snell market I wonder if this was their signing of pivoting going we're not paying him 240 mil let's go get Rodriguez I, I don't think they trade him this year but I wouldn't be shocked if Manoa is another name that pops up again next offseason because they're going to try and build him up as a starter. I think they're going to view him more as a bullpen name right or bullpen arm right now. But I think Manoa is a guy to keep an eye on because I think you're right. I think he could become a buy-low candidate, whether it be maybe at the deadline this year. Maybe they do decide to pull the trigger on it now, or maybe they wait next offseason. But he is a guy that has some upside. I wouldn't personally do it if I was sitting in Mo's shoes. I, I don't have that much interest in Alec Manoa because I'm not sure he can be fixed. But I understand the appeal where you look at it and go, man, that guy was a Cy Young caliber pitcher two years ago. Yeah, Manoa, an American League All-Star just two short seasons ago. It feels like an eternity. And after the Otani sweepstakes in the Great White North that maybe never were, it almost, and on some level, guys, because you only saw the small sample size there in the WBC, it feels like a move that is an indication of Toronto kind of settling here, pivoting. You have that great mammoth offense. You have so many pieces there, but so much uncertainty surrounding the rotation and now the relief core as well. If you're banking on this guy with whom we're not very familiar and you don't have concise 
clear role definition. I just think the Blue Jays right now, it's kind of funny to think of how they have transformed from early last season when they opened at Bush, the high, high prospects and aspirations, and now they feel pretty distant in the AL East. Let's head into that relief market because the Cubs apparently have interest in two of the top relievers, one via free agency as they're monitoring the Josh Hader situation, but the other one is via trade, and this is one we've talked about in St. Louis, T-Bone. Price obviously is going to be astronomical, so that's why we've backed off of it. Uh, The Cubs are checking out Cleveland Guardians closing pitcher Emmanuel Class A. Now, I don't know if that's just Class A or maybe they're they're calling about both Class A and Bieber because they need starting pitching as well. But if the Cubs do that and with the assumption that Cody Ballinger is going to be going back because at least that's where I'm at. That's a much better offseason than what we've been talking about of where the Cubs have been. You get at least a guy that not so number one, but somebody who could be in your rotation, a shut down guy in your bullpen. You get Cody Ballinger and you got Craig Council. That at least makes the Cardinals a little bit more nervous. Yeah, the, the Cubs are the team that is being reported as kind of being the, what would you call them? The team that was a sleeping giant that's now ready to awaken, start mm-hmm. spending this offseason. I'm still skeptical that they're going to do it. it. This These reports clearly show you that they're going to be interested in the relief market, as they should be. They need to upgrade the bullpen. I think you're right. It is interesting to wonder if Class A is nothing more than like a – or not nothing more – is the centerpiece to a deal that yeah. maybe includes something else because they do need starting pitching. I, I know they brought in Shota Imanaga. They've got Justin Steele. I still think they could use another arm but to add to that rotation. But you replace Marcus Stroma with a Shane Bieber, and you're right back to where you were. Yeah, and, and I, I think you look at them, and they're saying, okay, Imanaga replaces Stroman. But they still need a little help past Stroman and Steele last year. It'll be interesting. The Cubs are the team to kind of keep an eye on as we start to wind down the offseason as we're getting to about a month out before pitchers and catchers report. Because it sounds like they're going to be aggressive. And if they are, they can start to put themselves into the conversation where the Cardinals and Reds are as being the favorites in the NL Central. I agree with you because as of now, the Cubs staff, honestly, it is a lot more comparable to what the Redbirds are going to be fielding than perhaps a lot of people think, in my opinion, right now. Outside of a steal, you don't have that many guys who are giving you the classic swing and miss. You're interested to see what Imanaga brings into the equation. But as far as innings eaters, too, and that's going to be such a crucial component of the Central race, you could stay to build out a lot more depth and shortening a game with a talent that likes the caliber of certainly a class a that could really change the dynamic one more and it's the relief market because we still talk about that in st louis now one guy that could have been now is completely on is hector nearest uh the former relief pitcher for the astros I forgot who it was, but it was one of the international insiders. That Hector Gomez. Hector Gomez, thank you. He was the one that stated, Neris is searching for a three-year, $50 million contract with the teams. Now, that's less than what I would imagine Josh Hader is searching for, but those are two top-shelf closing pitchers or back-end of the bullpen uh, relief pitchers. And now that you see the price for that, we know what the price would be for a Josh Hader. That pretty much solidifies, at least for me, T-Bone, if the Cardinals are making another relief pitcher signing, it's going to be for somebody around $1 to $2 million. Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to be in this nearest market at 3 by 50 May, Maybe they do jump in if, if this Amazon deal gets approved in, I think, February's the next hearing. Maybe then they do it, but I'm, I still don't think they will. I think they're kind of money in, money out right now, or at least, like you said, $1 million, $2 million for a reliever. Well, sorry, Cardinals fans, that's not Naris, that's not Mayton, that's not Hater, that's not anybody at the top of the market. But what Cardinals are probably waiting to see happen 
and I was reading, I think it was Mark Feinstein that wrote this last night, like, why is it that this relief market has kind of frozen? Mm. Because typically these these guys are going left and right, boom, 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 quickly coming off the market. Right. It's all kind of stalled because Josh Hader's in his own category. But then whoever you view as the top guy, Naris, Maton, uh, they're waiting for the other relievers to take a contract because they want to see what that guy got so they can go, wait, 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 I want more than him. And it just kind of has that trickle-down effect. Naris is waiting on Maton. May, 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 the person underneath Maton's waiting on Maton to sign. I, I don't think the Cardinals have interest in Naris. I think he's probably going to be a Yankee would be my guess. Yeah, me too. But I think they're just waiting for this kind of trickle-down effect to occur with all these contracts at the top of the market to then come down to the bottom. New York makes by far the most sense, and I'm not sure Hector Neris at this point seems to be kidding himself because it was a fine season. It was arguably the best of his career. He arrived from Philadelphia. He was able to really stabilize himself. He still walked a lot of batters. You're going to get that with him. But to think about those absolutely insane numbers, no, I would be much more inclined. I am very surprised that there has been very little talk, if any, regarding one Phil Maton, because it seems as if right now from the outside, Houston doesn't have an interest in a reunion there. But you mentioned it, Tanner. Obviously, the dominoes have to fall. If one falls in, we're really going to see some movement, one would think. But I don't know if that is just some sort of swerve, because this is a guy, he's younger, he has the swing and miss, and he still has the opportunity to grow. Somebody has to ink him. Well, as John Mozeliak told us, there are still more moves potentially to come for the Cardinals. That's just a tease. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was a great tease just by keep, me. Just to keep us entertained. Oh, and we'll be talking about it every single day here on BK and yeah, Ferrario. That'll do it for today's Major League Baseball offseason. Roundup! We've got our contestants for Beat the Blues, Mason, Daniel, Kyle. They're going to try and beat the Blues next here on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's officially back. Beat the Blues here on BK and Ferrario. As we did this in the offseason at training camp for the Blues, we uh, got together with a lot of the Blues players and had them do some fun games. And we figured it gives players an opportunity, fans an opportunity to go up against their favorite St. Louis Blue and try and beat them for a signed puck and a pair of Blues tickets. So how this works is we have three callers on the line, Mason, Daniel, and Kyle, and they are going to go head-to-head with Kevin Hayes and Robert Thomas and try and get as many answers as possible for the category that they can come up with in 15 seconds. So 15 seconds, you'll have to answer as many categories or many answers as possible of one category. For example, T-Bone, name as many colors as you can in 15 seconds. Uh, Red, blue, violet, uh, ocean breeze, Ding. Um, red. Not five seconds. He said red twice. You fail. Oh, I did? So that, you Don't answer as many me. as you can in 15 seconds. And if you, whoever out of those three, have the most above the St. Louis Blues player, then you win the signed puck and the pair of tickets to the Columbus Blue Jackets game on January 30th. Mason will be our first one. Mason, how are you? I'm good, fellas. How are you? Good. So you understand the rules or you need me to explain it to him one more time? No, sir. I understand the rules. All right, Mason. So you are going to go up against Kevin Hayes here, and your category is famous golfers. So name as many golfers as you can in 15 seconds. Three, two, one, go. Um, Tiger Woods, Phil Nicholson, Roy McIlroy. 
no golf. Oh, I got nothing. All right, well, you got three. Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, and Rory McIlroy. We got three on that one. Uh, not to not to bring you down, Mason, but Kevin Hayes is a golfer. So let's see if Kevin Hayes can guess more than three of famous golfers. Tiger Woods, Patrick Cantley, Justin Thomas, Rory McIlroy, Xander Shoffley, Tony Finau, John Rahm, uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Lucas Glover, Gary Woodland, uh, Keegan Bradley. So he got 11 on that one, Mason. Tough go with Kevin Hayes, uh, but we appreciate you joining us with this one. Stay on the line, though, because if nobody can beat the Blues, Mason, uh, there will be a tiebreaker. Uh, so Mason got three. Kevin Hayes got 11. Let's go to Daniel. Daniel, how are you? Doing good. Doing good. All right, man. You understand the rules, or you need me to explain it to you one more time? I think we're good. All right, Daniel. So you are going to name as many golf courses as possible. So you're going to have 15 seconds to name as many golf courses as you can. Three, two, one, go. Oh, Cloverleaf, Spencer T, Augusta, Pebble Beach, uh, Sawgrass, uh, Gateway National, uh, and Briar. Uh, shoot. Uh, Stone Wolf, Stone Bridge. Uh, all right. That's a good round there, Daniel. You got nine golf courses. He was rattling them off there in a little bit. He did what I would have done. I got to the St. Louis golf courses, and then I just started naming every golf course I could in St. Louis. Yeah, I would have gotten like two, and it would have been like Augusta, Pebble Beach, and oh, then end me, of the run If for I me. was Mason, I would have said Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, and then been like, yeah, I'm out on this one. All right, Daniel, it was a hell of a round. Let's see if Kevin Hayes can guess more than nine golf courses in 15 seconds. Bellarive, Old Warson, Norwood Hills, uh, Old Sandwich, Fishers Island, Pine Valley, Marion, The Grove, uh, Floridian, Medalist. Um... <laughs> we got 10. Did I count that right? That's what Is I what you guys well? Okay, yeah. 10 was the difference in this one, Daniel. So stay on the line for us, and we'll see what this looks like at the end of Beat the Blues. So that is it for Kevin Hayes. We only were able to do two with him. So now Robert Thomas jumps into the conversation. So Kyle is going to have an opportunity to beat Robert Thomas. Kyle, do you understand the rules? I do. All right, Kyle. So your category here is things you bring on a road trip. Name as many things as you can bring on a road trip as possible. Three, two, one, go. Water, Powerade, Gatorade, Propel, Peanuts, Twix, Snickers, Kit Kat, Butterfingers, uh, Cooler, Firewood, Charger, Phone, Navigation system. All right. 14. Strong. That's what I, I got. I love the running through the candy bars because that do. is such a smart idea. And the drinks. Water, exactly. Powerade, Gatorade. That's how you do because it with that one. you're bringing them all. Yep. All right. Kyle, you're going up against Robert Thomas, who, of course, knows plenty about road trips. Let's see what Robert Thomas can come up with in 15 seconds. Things you bring on a road trip. Uh, shoes, socks, underwear, clothes. Um, toothbrush, iPad, phone charger, headphones, deodorant. 
Are we giving him clothes after he named all of the clothes? I, was, I think we give it to him. I had him at. Uh, I had him at eight if you don't give it to him, nine okay. if you do give it to him. Regardless, not a good showing by Robert Thomas as Kyle pulls out the victory with that one. 14 of them. Kyle, congrats on that one, buddy. Thank you. Listen awesome. to a lot of this show. <laughs> awesome. Well, stay on the line for us, Kyle. We'll get all of your information, uh, and then uh, we'll take that, and you'll get the uh, signed Kevin Hayes puck and two tickets to see the Columbus Blue Jackets on January 30th. So that's uh, our Beat the Blues, but there's eight more weeks of this. We're going to do nine whole weeks of Beat the Blues here on BK and Ferrario, so make sure you tune in every Thursday uh, with our Beat the Blues segment. Next up will be Oscar Sunquist. Next Thursday, I have an opportunity to win a signed puck from Sonny. You'll go up against him and a pair of tickets to see the Edmonton Oilers on February 15th. Ooh, the red-hot Edmonton Oilers. I'm not even going to check. May not the, have lost before then either. I'm not even going to check the text line right now because I know what the text line is probably saying, that we screwed over Mason and Daniel, giving them tough, conver- or tough topics and then threw a road trip one at Kyle. Huh. I'm not going to look at it because you know what? I wouldn't even have mentioned it. Dems the cards. Dems the cards. And it was a good showing. Although Daniel almost had that one. I was impressed with that. So big shout out to our friends at Comfort Experts, uh, your independent American standard heating and air conditioning dealer. Appreciate them being a part of our Beat the Blues segment this season. Again, Kevin Hayes signed Puck and two tickets to the Blue Jackets on the 30th. Go to Kyle. Next up will be on the 25th to take on Oscar Sundquist and a pair of tickets to see the Edmonton Oilers. We'll take a break. We'll come back and hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. here on BK and Ferrario with Tanner Hendrickson and Bradford Bruns. I'm Alex Ferrario. If you missed anything today from our show, you can check it out afterwards on our podcast page, 101ESPN.com. Uh, it's presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Had a good conversation with Evan Drellick at the beginning of the show talking about the Amazon deal with Bally Sports and kind of where that is headed. Gave us a really good information on that one and a better perspective. We also talked to Blues Hockey with Joe Vitale, which Joe will be with me tonight for a first community credit union pregame starting at 5 o'clock against the Capitals. 6 o'clock puck drop with Chris Kerber and Joe Vitale. And fellas, we'll rewind it with that. Um, We talked with Joe and asked Joe about this stretch of games. The next 21 going into the trade deadline. The next 10 taking on some tough opponents. And the Blues sitting 5 points out of a playoff spot. 3 points from being the 6th worst team in the National Hockey League. And Joe said it the way I feel. This is your season right here. He said 10 games. I'd say it's 20 games, but your season is here in front of you. If you don't go on a win streak of six or more games, you're going to be a seller. And it sucks to say because there's still a lot of season to play, but Doug Armstrong is a very honest man when it comes to this team. And unless you put together a six, seven, eight game win streak, you're not going to be able to pick up pace with all of these teams that sit between you and a playoff spot. Yeah, I the next 10 games determines it for the blues. And like, if we're just being honest, I think Doug Armstrong's probably decided 
we're probably sellers at the deadline. I, agree. I, I think the only way that he like looks to add this deadline one is if it's something that helps him in the long term uh, for the team. Like if, for example, and I'm just using this as an example because we talked about him before. If they think they can acquire Jacob Chickman for something reasonable and sign him to a contract extension, maybe they do it because he pairs with Colton Preco then in the long run. And yeah. I'm not talking like next year. I'm talking like next year and like five years beyond that. Uh, and he, they they have to win basically probably eight of the next ten. Uh, to like make it to where maybe he looks at bringing in an addition that's I wouldn't even call it a rental, but like a middle six four that's got like maybe one more year of term. They've just been in a tough spot and they played pretty well. Like I, yeah. I hate to make it sound like we're like man, they're just playing awful. No, they've been really good under Drew Bannister. Problem is, is they just continue to just kind of float around that five hundred mark. What is it? They've never been three games, of, four yeah, games above four games 500. above five hundred. And though they're playing well, all the other teams like we've talked about, Edmonton's won like ten in a row. Seattle's won like eight of the last ten. You start to just kind of trickle your way down the standings to where now you look up and go, and there's four teams above us, even though we're just five points out. So let's say that they go five, four, and one in their next 10 games. That's going to be 11 points for you, and that puts you at 55 on the season. 55 would be good for a wild card spot, but that's with the understanding that Edmonton, Nashville don't do anything to keep you in the wild card spot. But five or 55 points puts you six games above them. That means they've got to win three of their next 10 to go back into the same position that you're yeah. in. So that's the type of ground we're talking about. If you go 10-0, and 0, well, now you've put yourself sitting with 66 points, and now you're ta- or 64 points, and now you're sitting in second place. That provides a bigger gap for you to say, you know what, we're doing something special. And I think it's also internally. You can't really invest in a team for the rest of this season, and I don't think they're going to do it no matter what. I think you could go 40-0 and the rest of the season and not invest in the future and trade those assets away. But unless you put together a 10- or 11-game win streak like they did in 2019, then you're probably just going to stand pat. It's if you get out of it or you play sub-500 is when you trade pieces off. But if you're Doug Armstrong, I don't. I personally don't think they would have... I think they still would have sold off pieces in 2019 if they didn't do that 11-game win streak. I think that 11-game win streak forced Doug Armstrong into the sense of, yeah, we got something here. And that's going to be the same situation here for the St. Louis Blues. And it has to be a statement, as you have said, a run that is undeniable along those lines. Because if you examine too closely the state, the relatively weak state of the middle portion to the bottom half of the Western Conference standings, looking at that for too long can give you a fairly big you know, gap there as far as false hope is concerned. So that's the conundrum you have too. Well, and they also get Adam Gaudet tonight, so we'll see what that looks like juggling up the offensive lines. That seems to be like for the now what Drew Bannister's trying to figure out and what Doug Armstrong, I would imagine, is trying to figure out. Like, do we have offense on this team or is that our next goal? Because our top nine looks yeah, like? because last year it felt like they were trying to figure out, like, what's our defense look like? We remember at the end of the season, they were bringing up Matt Kessel, Tyler Tucker, Callie Rosen was getting more playing time. They were figuring out what the hell they had on defense. This feels like the next 10 to 20 games is going to be trying to compete. But what do we have offensively? Joe said it. They figured out what they had in some of those minor league guys. McEachern, Sammy Blay, Alexandrov's getting the, the call tonight. But now it's, what's our top nine look like? Do we have a top nine, or are we going to be focusing on that this offseason? Yeah, and I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what, uh, to me, I'm interested to see what the Hay Shen and Kyrie line looks like, because we've talked about it yeah. this week. I, Brandon Shen's going through it this year. I, I don't think he's just fallen off of a curve. Agreed. And he's no longer the, whatever, he's a $6 million player on his contract. I think what's happened with Braden Shen is he just does not have the wingers with him. And I think that by them moving Kairou down in the lineup, I think it's twofold. I think it is, one, 
trying to add more depth of scoring throughout the lineup. Now you don't have to. Now you don't just focus on the top line. You have to focus on Kyrie who's on the second line. And I think too, it is to see if he can be the guy that can kind of get Braden Shen going. Yeah. Well, we'll see what that looks like tonight. Again, puck drop with Chris Kerber and Joe Vitale at six. Have your pregame festivities starting at five. Again, you can check everything out on our podcast page, 101ESPN.com, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Also, you can check out our YouTube show up on our YouTube channel at 101ESPNSTL, presented by Air Alliance Team. T-Bone and I will be back with you tomorrow. Grant Francis will be in. Huge thank you to Bradford Bruns for helping us out while BK was out on vacation. We'll be back with you tomorrow from Centene Community Ice Center, and we'll talk plenty of blues and cardinals here on your home for the blues, 101ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.